Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes How's everyone doing out there in Geek Vibes Nation? This is your pal, Dane Alves, with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you guys with reviews over all the uh, the bigger shows. Um, and like I said his name earlier, I can't do this without my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? Doing wonderful, man. It's been a busy-ass week. I had the... Uh... Chris, uh, kind of went out there. I haven't. Hello? Yeah, can't hear you at all. How did this happen all of a sudden? All right, well, well I guess, I don't know if you're... Comp- now I can hear you. Let's start talking again. Bop, 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 bop. Let's just start from here. I switched over to my phone network just in case. Okay. All right. Well, start sounds good. Um, all right. So. Hello, everyone out there. How you doing? This is your friend, Dane Alves. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to do a fucking British accent. Hey, hope you guys are having a great October. Happy Halloween and shit. I love this time of, of, of year of festiveness and, and, and orange and uh darkness but either way uh for new listeners i am the host of wrestling geeks alliance and my co-host christopher brother ray Patton, and i we talk about the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and break down all the big you know events uh that we see fit to uh talk about you know it's our time it's our time i feel like it's a goonies now but we we can talk about what we want but we enjoy all you guys all all the new listeners all the old listeners and uh you know just keep on listening it'll be a great time uh we have a lot of stuff to talk about today we got takeover we're gonna talk about the the nxt episode from the wednesday night war we're gonna talk about AEW dynamite and uh maybe a little bit of g1 we got a little bit of news in there and uh you know if depending on how long this episode lasts we might be able to live commentate on the uh, the draft tonight on SmackDown. So we're recording this on a Friday. You guys have to figure that out by what I just said, but uh, I thought I'd reiterate myself. Chris, get me to shut up. How are you doing, sir? Doing wonderful, man. I, I've been dealing with NHL all this week. been watching the, the draft, the free agency happenings, and then trying to catch up on all the wrestling around the world, including that Ring of Honor tournament, G1 wwe nxt aew dynamite it's been a busy ass week and i feel like i don't want to look at a screen for a while (laughs) how's your week been dane it's been good man and i definitely will have to uh agree with you you know trying to catch some of the g1 tournament i am way behind even though i told myself i'd only watch the main events i'm still like six episodes behind 
<sighs> but what are you going to do? I heard that Osprey and Kota Bushi had an incredible match. Uh, I love the Pure Tournament. I've watched the first two episodes of that. I think that it's great that it seems Ring of Honor is kind of going back to their roots a bit and kind of taking away a lot of just, you know, making it just a legit fight with the tail of the tape. Um, and, yeah, I, I definitely love the first two episodes of that. There's a lot of good wrestling on right now. I think Impact's come back, and it's a pretty damn good product. And then you have AEW and WWE, and SmackDown has been pretty bearable as of lately with good storylines. And I actually didn't hate some of the stuff on Raw. Holy fucking shit. But nothing, I think you'll agree with me, Chris, is as good, I think, as Wednesday nights, which is primarily the stuff we're going to be talking about tonight. Should I edit in Nothing Compares to You by, you know, Prince or the Chris Cornell cover? (laughs) Just in I was, I was Wednesday nights. <laughs> I, I was thinking, um, what, what's the name? You don't like her version? Okay, well, fine. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't hear you cut out for a second, but uh, uh, good. Shanae O'Connor. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Nothing compares. I would Nothing. much rather hear the. <laughs> I would much rather hear the other two versions of that song, but maybe that's the one I'll edit in just for you. Just for me. All right. Well, uh, just, you know, let's let, let's talk about some news related stuff. And uh, I will try to stop doing that terrible British accent uh, in the process. But um, I think let's start off uh, first. Actually, before we do any news, I want to wish the amazing incredible eddie guerrero a happy birthday um one of me and chris's favorite wrestlers of all time i would say and uh very sad that he's no longer with us um unfortunate but it was his birthday today and uh yeah just wanted to kind of you know uh it's so hard to talk about a specific eddie guerrero moment because the thing that comes to my head the most is him beating brock lesnar and winning, and then afterwards the the hug at WrestleMania with him and Benoit. But when he first became a heel, I guess we were talking about this before. Uh, that match that him and, and Rey Mysterio had when he was, you know, at his peak body wise before it got a little more broken down, is at Halloween Havoc '97. Halloween Havoc! There you go. Uh, was pretty fucking incredible match. But uh, yeah, happy birthday, Eddie. We miss you terribly. Chris, you got anything to say? I mean, outside of the obvious of missing Eddie Guerrero, uh, man, one of my favorites, like you said, how, how can we not talk about how great Eddie Guerrero is? I always felt like WCW missed the mark on not putting him in the four horsemen. I feel like he would have been a perfect. If you're just going to add a random fucking person, Eddie Guerrero would have been good yep. as far as being the cruiserweight or us title kind of guy. Um, and also, he just wonderful matches with Jericho, Dean Malenko, uh, all shit I grew up with, Ultimo Dragon. Yeah. Um, anyone you can think of. Juventud Guerrero, some of the stuff he was able to do in WCW in the undercard. Even some of the dumb feuds that he had with Chavo being uh, the nephew that he abuses when they're like almost the same age. But that's a shoot. He's actually Eddie's nephew, I guess. Uh just good stuff overall. And then obviously the, the thing that people are going to think of the most is the WWE run, him getting that title the same night as Rey Mysterio Jr., which may be one of the greatest moments in wrestling history as far as WWF goes. Um, just good shit overall. Really miss Eddie Guerrero. Glad to see people are still paying tribute to him. 
Maybe some wrestlers need to pay less tribute to him. Like, I don't need 75 frog pl- splashes on the same show, especially if you don't do a good one. But uh, <laughs> love Eddie Guerrero. Definitely in my top 10 favorite wrestlers of all time. And uh, happy birthday, Eddie, for sure. All right. Well, uh, news item number one. We got two of them to talk about. Um, this is actually, I think, some really good news. Uh, me and you have been wondering about this. I think a lot of people have been wondering of what is going on, at least in the ring, with Samoa Joe. And he addressed his future uh, in his statement. Very brief, but very to the point. Right now, I'm enjoying commentary on Raw. It's been a fun challenge. Obviously, I'm not done in the ring by no means. I think right now I'm exploring things. Aside from that, I'm doing voice acting, which is fun and very cool. It's very enjoyable. I have a project coming up with Warner Brothers. I'm very fortunate and very happy that I'm doing the things I'm doing right now. So I think the key phrase uh, within there, obviously, I'm not done in the ring by no means. Um, So it sounds like, you know, and I've heard him in interviews kind of reiterate, he's learning a little bit about producing, he's learning a little bit about this. I think that eventually, once he is done, he's going to settle down probably as a road agent, I would assume, for the company. And commentary, obviously, is going to be uh, maybe his the, the thing he aspires to most post-wrestling. Um, and I believe that Joe really believes that. Uh, I'm just wondering what the direction of WWE is with him, honestly. Do they have the same thoughts? Because, let's be honest, uh, Joe, the reason why he got in this situation, not his fault at all, but was an injury. Uh, from a commercial shoot, the OP, we talked about it a bunch of times, where he took a really bad bump. I basically, from what it makes it sound like, they did for the wrestling commercial, like a double choke slam through the announce table and didn't remove any of the fucking uh, monitors like they normally do. So they just slammed him on top of that. Uh, but before that, obviously, he had injury. Like I said, I don't think anything concussion-wise or anything like that has been his fault, but we know about injury-prone and that stigma that Vince McMahon has when it comes to it. So I, I believe him. I think that he'll be in the ring. I think this is great news. But there is, unfortunately, that pessimistic side of me that's like, I think Vince is trying to macho man him. And macho man had two pretty good runs after, you know, Vince trying to bench him because he knew that he was a hot commodity. It, I don't know if Samojo really has that same thing going uh for him and i want to see samoa joe wrestle in the ring i think that's the biggest thing before i see him completely go to commentary or try stuff in the back and it's really good that he's trying to utilize and figure out different skills and doing stuff outside of the company with the voice acting i think that's great but i want to see samoa joe fuck up people i mean that's that's the most fun about it and uh, i don't know i mean I, i think that's that's basically it but i think for commentators He's doing a damn good job, uh, especially given the circumstance with what the commentators usually are doing. But uh, what do you think of the situation? Should we just be thinking roses and tulips and shit like that, Chris? Or am I? do I have a reason to be pessimistic a bit? Well, I think you have a very good reason to be pessimistic. And, and from the standpoint of Samoa Joe on commentary is not what Samoa Joe started like as, as a commentator. 
And I think the direct comparison would be to something like Taz when Taz is on commentary versus what they have turned Samoa Joe into. I'm not super excited about Samoa Joe being on commentary anymore. That could be part of the raw product, but uh, three-man commentary team with Samoa Joe just being there doesn't, I don't know, there's nothing, it doesn't do anything for me. He could be better utilized as maybe a manager, definitely better utilized as a wrestler. I don't know that they ever put him back in a situation unless he takes some substantial time off and they bring him back as like a, a, a superstar or something. It's going to make him a, a huge name again. I mean, they could use him in like a Jerry Lawler role where he gets attacked by a wrestler or something. But uh, to me, WWE has seemingly passed the buck on Samoa Joe. Whether that sounds negative or not, I have no idea. But uh, yeah, I, it's good for him that he's branching out. He wants to be a road agent. The voice acting, like you said, is a cool thing. But um, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you as far as there's some pessimistic feelings about what they're doing with Samoa Joe. I think that his contract is up in a year or two years, if I'm not mistaken, unless they've re-signed him on some kind of deal I'm not aware of. Uh, but how much does he have left in the tank? And obviously he took a bunch of stupid, uh, unnecessary bumps that gave him injuries related to AOP, two in a row specifically related to AOP that, that may have shortened his career. For one with, uh, time. one, one was more, there was also one that was a freak accident with Buddy Murphy, but that was just a bad landing. But one thing I will say, if Samoa Joe gets back in the ring, Use the fucking spears of the outside just for pay-per-views, if any time, for Christ's sakes. Like, I know it takes the people catching him and stuff like that, but he is a big dude, and two times out of the last couple injuries have been because of that move. So maybe get that out of your repertoire. Yeah, and Joe doesn't need to do a dive anyways. No, he does not! He's proved himself. If you want to have someone do a dive, have someone do a dive onto Joe. He doesn't he doesn't have to be the guy taking the dive as impressive as it looks. I think Joe's in-ring work ability stands on its own. He doesn't have to do the crazy shit just because he is the big guy. Uh, if anything, they dialed that shit back with Kevin Owens, so you might as well dial it back with Samoa Joe as well if you're bringing him back. Yeah, and I agree with you. I just um, I hope I hope the best for Samoa Joe. I think that he unfortunately gets overlooked. I think that, you know... Uh, if if you look at the guys, you know, that weren't in WWE uh, in the 2000s that were really making rounds, I think that a lot of people go to AJ Styles, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, and a little bit later, Daniel Bryan would probably be including that. The Ring of Honor Impact guys, if you will. And um, Christopher Daniels is another one that I think is a bit underrated uh, just because of the commodity and the people in that group. But uh, Samoa Joe also, man. I wish that he got a little bit more respect. And, hey, maybe, who knows, man, whatever it be, maybe three years from now, two years from now, and Taz brings out Samoa Joe as his new fucking guy to fuck up everyone at AEW. But who knows? Maybe he's ready to kind of, you know, go down with his career and uh, relax and not take bumps. I mean, that makes sense, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's always a little weird with Samoa Joe, but I, I don't know. I would love to see him... At least have one big match. He's got to have one left in him. Yeah, like especially like I'd love to see him and Keith Lee have a fucking meat slapping meat fight. Um, 
But yeah, we'll find out. I think that he'll be back in the ring soon. We're going to find out. Maybe he's a part of this draft tonight. We don't even know. Fucking apparently Triple H doesn't even know if there's NXT people involved in the goddamn draft. But uh, I don't know how much I believe that. Uh, let's let's actually kind of talk to you about someone that at least has been making news uh, involved in all this. Uh, just because the draft's coming up, we don't know what's going on with Retribution. Uh, they had a member, Mercedes Martinez, a part of it. And it looks like sh- that she was pulled uh, from PW Insider. She reports that she is no longer a member and is being moved back to the NXT roster uh, from the Raw roster. Uh, we also knew that, and this is kind of making some ma- uh, fans mad, uh, Mustafa Ali all day has been posting, or all week actually, has been posting stuff since the uh, Raw angle with him being a part of this group. But it always included the wrestlers except for her. And apparently... She ain't a part of it anymore, so I don't know if they're going to put another female in her place. I don't know if she asked Triple H, like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I just finally fucking got here. Can I, like, help out the women's NXT division? Because I know that Mercedes has a lot of coaching experience. I mean, she's helped out Shayna Baszler, Rhea Ripley before, and a lot of other female wrestlers. So maybe she wants that environment. And I don't know. Or maybe it was, we don't need her do you want her back hunter situation i have no clue i don't know if it's a good decision or not because i thought retribution was trash but the i will admit i know some people are going to think i'm fucking crazy the the mustafa ali factor and the idea that maybe people associated with him i.e ricochet and maybe he's actually not the main leader this has actually attracted me to this situation more so than ever beforehand but when it comes to mercedes martinez i don't know i have no idea what the reasoning is, but I kind of would like to see her in the women's division on NXT a little bit more so than what, whatever the fuck she's going to be doing with retribution. Um, at least I guess, unless it doesn't work out for Jade, I mean, um, Mia Yim, uh, she had been in NXT for a very long time. So I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. I have so many like, up and down feelings about retribution. It was like, why did you have to throw Ali in it? Now I'm actually like, okay, are they going to tie in the hacker? Are we going to go in a cool direction? I don't know. But this is not the Raw review. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. You hear this. Do you think Mercedes is going back to NXT because she was like, Hunter, get me the fuck out of this? Or what, what, what do you think, Chris? I have no idea the reason going back so i don't have a good answer for you there but i feel like it uh <laughs> it probably fucking helps her career uh what was she doing beforehand wasn't she with robbie e yeah she was uh she was part of the robert stone brand and uh losing to rhea ripley a lot okay but wouldn't you rather see her as part of the robbie part of Robbie E's crew than just an yeah. afterthought and retribution, which is what she's going to be. Yep. Um, and in retribution. I mean, she's just kind of a fill in body. I'm not surprised that she got sent back. Obviously they're going with, um, as you said, Jade or Mia Yim as the primary female antagonist in that group. Uh, seemingly they have no idea for tag team divisions still or tag teams that would come out of any of this for the female tag division. We've been bitching about this for 
I know I know the women's tag division's abysmal. But if you talk about a really cool women's tag team, an over aggressive Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez would be fucking awesome, especially going against Shayna Baszler and um and uh Nia Jax. That that would actually that at least better than what they've fucking done, but not happening. It it would that that was what I thought they were gonna do by having two females uh, on yeah. in retribution, which obviously they're not going with. So Mercedes Martinez is probably getting the better end of this deal. <laughs> going back to NXT, where there there's plenty of female talent to work with, and she could be a top heel if they utilize her properly. I feel like throwing her back with Robbie E is probably not the worst idea of all time. Yeah, I don't know, man. Mustafa Ali showing up and being part of that group, it does nothing for me. I get why you're excited okay. about it, but uh, being how Too little, booked, too late? Too little, too late. And Mustafa Ali's, I, I don't want to say injury prone, but he's had his share of injuries and problems. And they don't seem to be fully behind him because they already gave him something to do with the hacker thing and then dialed it back. So I don't, you know, to me, this this group is built around Dijakovic. That's going to be the guy they try to get over from this. And they're using Mustafa as a face to add to this group to try to give it, you know, some sort of balance of like, hey, you probably do know this person if you watch their main, uh, the main product versus NXT. But uh, I'm not overly excited about any of it. And the retribution stuff to me has been kind of garbage. Yeah. I gotcha. I'm, 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 I'm calling me interested now for the first time because of that last revelation. Um, but that's in hopes that they're going to tie in the hacker stuff. Like everything will be placed and maybe there's bigger members out there that Ali might be a general for, or Do- him and Dominic, or maybe the addition of Ricochet, other people that have been quote-unquote neglected. I like some of the art that they went through. But now that I'm thinking about it, we're talking about Monday Night Raw. We should probably save this conversation a bit uh, for the other episode. Um, but yeah, I think there's a good chance Mercedes dodged a bullet. I'll just put it that way. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so let's uh, let, let's start our uh, results conversation and go over TakeOver 31. I have to be completely transparent. Um, I like this TakeOver, but to me, the main event really made the whole entire event. A lot of these matches, I think, and NXT puts on great television matches. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like a lot of these matches could have been great TV matches. And... um. We'll get to the individual matches themselves, but to me, the Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly was, <laughs> I, you have to say hard hitting because uh, both men suffered from, uh, from it, and we'll, we'll get to that. But um, what was your overall thoughts about TakeOver, Chris? It was a little bit of a weak pay-per-view for them. I'm not going to say it was terrible because I thought a lot of the stuff was good, same, same way you did. Um, it was highlighted by some really good matches. Uh, the Kyle O'Reilly Finn Balor match was absolutely incredible <laughs> for obvious reasons, because they basically killed each other. Um, but you could make the argument that a lot of the stuff is on TV, but that also points to the fact that their hotshot booking and what they're trying to do on their televised product 
and some of the matches they're putting on, for instance, Kushida versus Ciampa this week is maybe overdoing what they should be doing on TV and making the pay-per-views a little less special. Yeah. No, I, I, I can completely agree with that. Um, one thing that was different, they were at the Performance Center, but they have now turned the Performance Center uh, into this tribute to the past of Capital Wrestling Center. Um, that was basically the the first... Um, the first name for the company of WWWF that would turn into WWF that would turn into WWE years ago played a package of like a lot of old material. Uh, and the pre- presentation was a little bit like the old, um, you know, uh, feel at full sale with the crowd and the puxy glass. But this time those people, you know, the little attendance that they had, which looked like pretty much, you know, I don't think there's any fans in there. I think it was all other wrestlers and uh, staff and whatnot, but separated. They had a chain um, over that. And then above that, they had televisions uh, like they're doing right now on Ron Smackdown with the Thunderdome. So I actually like the look of it. Uh, it was weird with the piped in noise and also the audience. It's kind of like I wish that the audience could have influenced sometimes the direction of the uh the the piped noise and I'm not gonna ever get used to that. I feel like for on SmackDown at least, whenever or for these pay per views, Vince like has like a keyboard and he gets to control everything and he's like, ha, 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 I'll tell him when to fucking laugh. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I think there was a this is awesome chant that was made by the uh, the, the voices and very weird too. Uh, one last comment about the presentation. Because I, I did like it, but we had Vic Josephs, we had Beth Phoenix, and we had, um, god dang it, Wade Barrett on commentary. Vic Joseph was there. The other two were uh, at their houses doing it over the air, but they had stand-ins for them. So they had two people standing next to Vic Joseph. so in far shots, it didn't look that weird. The only problem is the dude for Wade was not like Wade Barrett. Uh, obviously size-wise, and the, the girl had pink hair. So it was, it was kind of strange. It was a bit weird. But uh, like I said, I, I dig the look of the performance center like that. I actually, I, I think that that's actually, hey, if, if this is what we fucking got, this is what we got. But the one thing I don't like at all, and I know I have to get used to it to some extent, is the piped-in uh, sound, crowd sound. Uh, what do you think of the presentation of this new homage to the past? the CWC center and the way that they did the audience. So the audience was a bit weird for me because the way they were trying to shoot it by putting those cages up is that there is no plexiglass there. But then later in the show, anytime there's a comeback, they have them bang on the plexiglass. Yep. Even in spots where the crowd would normally not be getting, you know, your, your typical Terminator type uh, to pump up the guy, etc., whatever. Which they're also doing a lot, the Terminator Kenny Omega thing. I don't know if you've noticed that, but they've seemingly have been doing that a lot. Um, I like the overall aesthetic of it. I think it looks pretty good. Uh, it looks really good on Wednesday. I think it was a little more dialed in on Wednesday than the pay-per-view, honestly. I agree. All right, so let's start off. Uh, first match, really good. Um I think what kills this match, what kills a lot of matches for me, that's not the match, the, the, the in-ring work itself, 
because we had the NXT North American title on the line from the champion Damian Priest going against Johnny Gargano. And so I just knew the outcome. It was very obvious that Johnny was not going to win the title, uh, to me at least, because Damian Priest has just won it. Uh, he's been presented as champion. He's doing a really good job with his run. But the two had a pretty damn good match. I think that uh, I like that um, Priest has switched now doing the Outsider's Edge, a- a.k.a. the, ra- the uh, Razor's Edge. Uh, instead of doing it directly on the fucking apron, now he's kind of like doing it on the side. So it's like the safest possible way you could do that move. Uh, so kudos to him on that. But, um, I mean, there's not a lot of bad things about this match. Um, ending was uh, pretty good uh, for the ending. Gargano hit a low blow in the middle of the chaos that was going on. Gargano rolls Priest in and hits a super, uh, two super kicks to the face, and Priest still kicks out at two. Gargano goes for the Gargano escape in the middle of the ring. Uh, Priest tries to get uh, the bottom rope, but he's pulled away, and hold is reapplied. Priest finally gets his leg on the bottom rope, and the hold is broken. Gargano drives knees into Priest's shoulder now. Gargano looks out uh, the steel ring, uh, steps at ringside. He rocks Priest on the apron. Gargano uh, charges and knocks Priest off onto the steps. Uh, pieces, but Priest blocks him from the apron. Priest tries to suplex Gargano out onto the steel, but Gargano blocks it. Gargano with a running forearm, but Priest hangs on. Priest with a kick to the face from the apron. Priest comes back in the ring, but Gargano super kicks him. And then again, Priest goes down. Priest blocks one final beat again. Priest catches Gargano, still in the middle rope, and hits the reckoning from the middle rope. Priest covers for the pin and the win and retain. So Damian Priest gets the uh, win after the match. Priest recovers. As his music plays, Priest gets back to his feet. As we go to replays, Priest stands tall and raises the title in the middle of the ring. Priest pulls back and fires his invisible arrow into the LED board going around the CWC. So, uh, yeah, man. Um, like I said, Priest standard match. I don't think any guy did it did uh, bad within it. I love that ending sequence where it's basically like a fight on the apron and then he catches him. I'm going to say kind of like how Tanahashi does his, uh, his, um, the hell they call his leg screws, but inside the ropes, but he did it with the reckoning. Um, and I, Johnny Gargano is one of those guys that can take that move well and fucking made it look like it just drilled him right on the head. And uh, yeah, that was a pretty good match. What'd you think? thought this was a great match a very good opener uh one thing i will say i was a little a little bit disappointed in is the sequence you were talking about with the razor's edge on the outside uh just because in in nxt lore if you get dropped on your back like that if you go back to kevin owens pop-up powerbomb against Sami Zayn or whatever razor's edge is from a higher spot directly on the back I think maybe you could have done the finish there. It did lead to a lot of good near finishes and towards the end of the match. But uh, maybe that's something they could have saved for down the road with Damian Priest. Outside of this, I thought this was a good uh, title defense from Damian Priest. Was not surprised about the finish. Like you, like once again, like you said, and was also in the predictions if you listened to the last show. Uh, but yeah, this was a good match overall. Very impressed by Damian Priest. I feel like he has stepped it up since becoming champion. And uh, I'm just excited to talk about this next match. I'm going to mark the fuck out, bro. 
All right, well, let's get to marking. We had a match, holy shit, with Kushida and Velveteen Dream. And uh, Velveteen Dream, for very good reasons, uh, if you've kept up with us in the past, has been kind of in the fucking doghouse. So he comes up, and his dressed-up version of himself for this takeover was Doc Brown from from Back to the Future. We all know that Kushida likes to dress normally as Marty McFly. So it looked like he just had silver fucking just sprayed, like not actually hairspray, but just silver shit in his fucking hair. Uh, looked absolutely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> and then Kushida comes out in nor- like a normal, like like he's ready for a fucking fight. He doesn't have his Mario McFly shit. It looked like it insulted him that Velveteen Dream did. And I will say, for Velveteen Dream, great selling in this match. Just incredible. Because Kushida beat the living fuck out of him the whole entire goddamn time. I mean, there was a little bit of a comeback. But I think the most, the coolest spot was when they went to the top of the ropes and Kushida got hit that arm bar and flipped him and Velveteen Dream while still holding it. Um, you know, he did get the Dream Valley driver, uh, but yeah, it was a lot of, when Velveteen Dream, that's what I think happened. He went for the elbow drop and then Kushida jumped up, grabbed him, put him in the lock, fucking backflipped, put him down. And I don't remember if he exactly got the win there. But it was shortly after that, and then afterwards, he kicked the shit out of him some more until Velveteen Dream was crying. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're trying to bury Velveteen Dream at all. Whoa. I wouldn't say they're trying to bury him as much as they're trying to put Kushida over as a badass. I still think there's plans for Velveteen Dream. Dream. They're obviously letting some of the allegations and things simmer down. And uh, this whole Triple H statement of like he was too cocky in the back and and thought he deserved a push or whatever. Maybe there's a little bit of truth to that. I've seen that floating out there, but I mean, it points to the fact that this guy had a bazillion allegations against him, and that's why he's not getting pushed at the top of the company. Uh, more so than he's just difficult to deal with because he was an XT for a long time and that was never a rumor that came out as far as him being difficult to, to deal with. So whatever their WWE is backpedaling on now, it's way different than uh, probably what the actual reasoning is. I thought this was a very, very good match. Much like you, my uh, my favorite thing was the, uh, the, the when Dream hit Kushida with that super kick, and Kushida just went directly into the arm bar right after, and then Dream tried to hit the power bomb, but Kushida just hit the arm bar again, <laughs> leading to that Dream Valley Driver and Purple Rainmaker. That entire uh, section of that match was really, really fucking good, and it was great to see Kushida get a clean win, and not only get a clean win, but break uh, Velveteen Dream's wrist is what we're being told headed into Wednesday night. So if you watch the Wednesday night show, you will know that Dream shows up with a cast on, which gives Dream a little something to do, like, you know, just go off. Cowboy Bob Wharton, he can use that as a weapon. It doesn't work for him on Wednesday, but uh, interesting. And and very good to see Kashida continue his dominant fucking streak here. In what I would consider one of Dream's best matches back, probably his best I feel like every match he's had has like slowly been his best since he came back. And this one was really, really good. That being said, he just sold a lot. And Kashida's fucking incredible. 
we need more Kushida just smashing the fuck out of people. Also, this is, uh, as far as Kushida's character, this is the most Kushida we've ever seen, even going back yeah. to New Japan. They're giving him so much more than he even had his, in New Japan as a character because he was always the time splitter uh, part of that tag team, the very Marty McFly character. And now we're seeing this different level of Kushida, which I love. I think it's I think it's fucking great. The, the one person they're doing really well with in NXT is Kashia for sure. Yeah, he looked aggressive as fuck. Um, next match: NXT Cruiserweight Title match. The champion Santos Escobar went against Isaiah Swerve Scott. This is their third match, and basically the rubber match. Um, uh, the two times previously that I believe. Uh, or the one time, I should say, that Isaiah Swerve Scott lost, it was that one time where Santos Escobar used the loaded mask. Um, and beforehand, it was when he was still the luchador before he turned heel when um, Swerve beat him in that, that competition. So uh, this was pretty damn good lucha match, man. I mean, I literally, just because I caught it, I think it was Saturday when I woke up, or Sunday, uh, WWE Network was playing... For some reason, they had like those two matches presented. Their their other two matches. Uh, so I watched those back to back, and then watched this Sunday, um, and they work really well together. Who knew that Killshot and King Kierto works really well together? But just a very you know, I mean, it was a luchador match. There was that one spot that kind of sucked, and this is one thing WWE bites themselves in the fucking foot. There's something else that happened recently where the replay screwed them over. Or it might have been AEW, actually. I don't remember. But sometimes you don't need to go back because they took the pad off and he made it so that Isaiah Swerve Scott hit the exposed turnbuckle, but it didn't look like he hit it at all. And then they showed a different angle, and you could tell he completely didn't. But, of course, uh, Scott, you know, sold like a motherfucker. But uh, the, the breakdown at the end of the match... Uh, Adonis runs down and attacks Mendoza and Wild to make the save. Oh, yeah. So we had that was weird. So uh, Tahuti Miles finally shows up and he's a Shanti the Adonis. And he, he fucked up both Mendoza and Wild and kind of saved uh, just, you know, even the odds, I guess, a bit. And uh, Escobar keeps fighting and hits a super kick to the jaw of Isaiah Swerve Scott. Escobar follows up with the Phantom Driver, but somehow Swerve kicks out at two. I think he's the first person to do that, so uh, pretty good. Back and forth now. Escobar keeps control and hits the Three Amigos suplexes as the fans boo him. Escobar goes back to the top uh, for a frog splash, but he uh, may have slipped as he hits the mat and Swerve's moves. Fans pop as Swerve snaps Escobar's arm back with a boot. Uh, Swerve with a house call kick to the head. Swerve goes off the top uh, and hits a 450 splash, but Escobar kicks out, and the crowd can't believe it. Swerve is shocked in the corner. So then we hear the audio of This Is Awesome playing. That's what I was talking about beforehand. Um, now as both superstars end up on the floor, they tangle on the apron, and Swerve gets knocked down. They say uh, he hits his head on the exposed steel from the turnbuckle, which was done earlier, but it looks like he barely hit it if he actually did at all. Escobar brings Swerve back in and follows up with the big uh, double underhook face buster into the knee, and Escobar covers for the pin and to retain. After the match, the uh, music hits, and Escobar recovers and takes his title. 
Uh, Escobar poses on stage and raises the title in the air. Like, he just don't care. Not a bad match. Um, watching them pretty much all back-to-back, I think their second match was the best. Uh, but still a good match nonetheless. Sucks about the, uh, you know, the Bacho Mania spot, if you will. But, I mean, it happens. Yeah, of course you're going to sell it. Uh, that's like I said, sometimes replays can fuck shit up. Uh, what do you think about this match, Chris? It was a very sloppy match. There was another botched power slam even before that and a, a few things. It's definitely not their best outing with each other outside of the turnbuckle spot, which I immediately pointed out as well as I was watching this. But, um, yeah, not their best match. Also surrounded by, God, who came out to break up uh, Ashante Adonis yeah. coming out to make the save only for you know, the baby face to lose was a little bit weird. Uh, some weird booking. I mean, it was entertaining. I'm not going to say it was a bad match, but that weird segment in the middle and the botches did take away from it heavily. I would still say watch it just because Isaiah Scott and Santos Escobar, when they're on, they're really, really on. This is definitely not the best match they've had. Um and also the finish was a the finish was a little lackluster considering what they were doing to build. To me, I thought they were building a babyface win, and they didn't go that way. So it just felt I don't know the match itself as a wrestling fan felt a little odd, but it it was fine overall. I mean, not the best thing on the show. I'll say that. Nope, I will agree with you. All right, so we had the women's um, championship match. We had Candice LeRae going against Io Shirai. I just hated the shenanigans, man, I, with with the ref bump and a really, really, really good ref bump because I think that what happened was, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, Candice knocks him, and he kind of, like, stumbles over, and then Io Shirai, she goes for her – she goes for something, maybe a springboard. I can't remember exactly. Um – and she misses. Oh, well, it was it was I believe her moonsault. She goes for her moonsault. Candace gets her knees up, and she goes flying into the fucking ref. Ref goes just outside. Then Johnny Gargano comes out, and he's got his ref outfit on, and he's trying to claim that Larray uh, won after a two count. And obviously, he's not a fucking referee. And then a referee comes out, Mister Overly Tan. I'm trying to get myself over, guy. And is screaming at Johnny that that's his ref shirt that he stole. He probably added that extra in that he decided to at his improv class uh, a couple nights beforehand before he got his super tan and make sure that his uh, his cool soul patch was dark enough. I don't really fucking know. Anyways, but um, yeah, Chirai finally got the win uh, with their moonsault um, after a Spanish fly on Larray. And I thought the ladies were great. I wish that there wasn't a whole bunch of dumb bullshit thought the ref bump, though, was excellent. Just uh, very well done. Uh, Lance Storm was commenting on that. It was one of the best ref bumps he's ever seen, just the way that they presented it. Um, but, yeah, I just I don't like that other referee guy. He just he gets on my nerves. He's as orange as fucking Trump. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, if we're talking about ref bumps, then Little Nate is the all-time best at ref bumps. But this, this is a pretty fucking good ref bump. Uh, I I liked that that segment. I'm in the same boat as you. There was too much extracurricular here for me. Gargano. Here's the other thing: is he tried counting a fast three count, but Io still kicked out. 
So it made him and Candice LeRae both look weak, even if the count wouldn't have mattered. So basically, EO kicked out at one. <laughs> Essentially. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, this The storytelling in the match was a little too up its own ass. Uh, some of the in-ring work was okay. Uh, not a huge fan of this. I think Candice LeRae and Io Shirai could have just had a really good match. You could have done a fuck finish if you wanted to with Johnny Gargano. I think it would have been a good time to give, uh, you know, either him hitting Io Shirai or something, if you're going to go that route, to give him some heel heat. Because right now, to me, Candice and Johnny Gargano are comical heels, which seems to be the only kind of heels that (laughs) WWE can book. I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm not I'm not on the Johnny Candace train at all. I haven't been at all. <laughs> and I think that they're well, both I mean the f- great wrestlers. They're both great wrestlers. It just I don't know. The follow-up on it on Wednesday is even worse. It it once again goes to them being a comical heel tag team. This is a former champion. Like, Johnny Gargano was a force to be reckoned with, and now he's relegated to comic comedy around a 65-inch TV, his house being destroyed, and uh, trying to be a pretend referee. Like, this is where we're at with Johnny Gargano, which is... And he lost earlier in the night. So, it... I don't know. To me, it's kind of like a burial of Johnny Gargano. I know maybe other people won't agree with that. But that that the match really was hindered by the fact that he was involved, and not involved in a way that would have made any kind of sense whatsoever. And Candace still lost, so it made both of them look weak, and it was not the best that you could book that. I could think of a bazillion different ways to book that that would have made them both look either more heel coming out of the the loss, or uh, you know if you gave Candace the title, made her look like a million bucks as a heel. But instead, they went with what they went with. And uh, probably my least favorite match on the entire show, if I'm being completely honest. And it has nothing to do with the end ring work, just the storytelling. Yep. <sighs> I have to agree with you. Well, uh, after that, we had something really cool. Uh, two big additions to the women's division that's already completely flourished and just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I kind of expect some women, uh, part of the roster, to probably making it to Raw and SmackDown sometime soon. So maybe this is to also replenish it a bit. But I think we talked about her not too long ago. Uh, Tony Storm came on for a segment talking about how she is finally able to maneuver, basically. And she is on her way to NXT to go after that women's title and kind of calls out Io Shirai. So a lot of us, me included, I would say, I don't know about you, Chris, but... I thought that was probably who the vignettes were about. And it was kind of weird they didn't have, like, you know, a breakdown of a person on a, uh, a bike or anything like that. But I thought that was it. Or it was obviously going to be a male superstar that we'd see at the end of, of the night. And Tony was a, a reveal for the women's division. That's not the case. And I got to say, it kind of upstaged uh, Tony a good bit. I might have actually used this on um, NXT. Uh, her doing the same thing with EO, but just the next week by itself because we get the video of that person on the bike and they make it to the facility. Uh, they enter it and we have this person with the helmet on and like rumored and hoped by a lot of fans, uh, it's revealed to be Ember Moon 
making her return to fucking NXT, which I am extremely excited about. Um, coming back from what she thought was, you know, a couple months ago, doing um, the, the, the show, uh, the Fox show uh, for, for SmackDown or, or WWE, whatever the name of it, the one with CM Punk. She told her mentor, Booker T, and a bunch of other people, Christian included, that she probably wasn't going to be able to make it back from her Achilles uh, tear. And apparently she's in, in, in good shape and she's ready to make a comeback. And I'm really happy she's in NXT. Um, I think that some people would think this is a step down since she was she was fucked. She got injured herself in a segment where she was running, trying to get the 24-7 fucking title. So I don't want to hear it at all. She was badass in NXT. If she wants to do that, or there is a possibility that you know maybe she's on borrowed time because of the injury, so she wants to be at the place where she can not only you know become a legitimate champion, be a badass within that division, but also maybe eventually be a coach or something. I know she's young, but I'm just saying based on what happened. But it was great to see her back. The only thing that sucked about it was I think it kind of just undercut the excitement I had a second before that for Tony Storm. So what do you think about both these ladies now going to be uh, included in the amazing women's division in NXT? Well, I think it's great that they're both back, and I agree with you. I think that uh, Ember Moon coming back as a with, with the gimmick that they gave her definitely overshadowed Tony Storm. Uh, I'm going to talk more about Ember Moon on Wednesday because I thought she got pretty blown up in her match. Uh, so we'll go into more of that. But it was great to see her back. I'm I'm, I'm really happy she's going to be there. Obviously, there's some ring rust. Uh, Tony Storm. I I like Tony Storm. Okay, I don't I don't know that she's the top of that division. That's I mean NXT's women's division is fucking stacked, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> it's exciting to see both of them back. Kind of sucks for Io Shirai and Candice LeRae who went out and had this match, and then they were just kind of overshadowed by the aftermath. Uh, I, I don't know who did the F4W recap of this, but they said that this was the match of the night thus far leading into Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly, and I think they were smoking some fucking crack, either that or they were very happy about Ember Moon <laughs> returning. So I think the, the hype for Ember Moon showing back up is, is pretty high. It's probably Mike Simpervisi. That's what I'm gonna guess. Um, <laughs> fucking Mike. Shame. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah. So let's just get to the match, man. Uh, the reason we're all here: Finn Balor, the NXT champion, going against Kyle O'Reilly. They built this really well. Very sports-like premise. Um, I love seeing peppered in from Adam Cole and the other guys in the Sputin era. Just a complete. Faith in O'Reilly being able to beat Finn Balor. I like their sit-down. That was them complimenting each other, and then O'Reilly just went for fucking Finn's balls and, like, pissed off Finn, and then Finn was, you know, the real prince was there for the conversation that Shawn uh, Michaels hosted. And This match was awesome. Uh, was it a bit too snug? Yeah, possibly. Uh, Kyle chipped one of his teeth and knocked one of them out. <laughs> And fucking Finn got a fractured jaw that apparently he's going to be okay. I don't know how. I, I really hope they don't have to drop the title again because that would really be unfortunate, especially Finn just got the fucking thing back. 
but it's a fractured jaw. So I'm really wondering if they're just like, uh, let's see how this goes in the next week or two. But uh, they Killer Cross was done with a fucking what, what? What did Killer Cross hurt himself with, Chris? Do you remember? Did he did tear his, his his tricep, or did he fuck up his shoulder? Did, did who who got hurt where? Finn? Killer Cross. Oh man, I, I thought I, that he had a kind of minor injury. I I think he didn't he like pull his he basically didn't he have the Triple H injury where he pulled his pectoral away from his. Oh uh, yeah, that might be. I I mean, there's an easy way for me to do this instead of. Asking you to pull it out of your ass. Sorry about that. It definitely was in the shoulder area, but I can't remember if it was like a tricep or if he tore whatever that chest muscle is that Triple H tore. Because I feel like that was like his pectoral. I feel like there was something there where he was going to be gone for three to four months. But uh, maybe he's a beast. Oh, he, he's, uh, he's separ- he, he suffered a really bad separated shoulder is what okay. it was. Yeah, yeah. We I knew we we knew it was something in the chest area, but it's been a while since we talked about him cuz yeah. like I said, he said he was going to be gone for 3 to 4 months, so there hasn't been a real reason to talk about him as of late, which is unfortunate for I I think that he was having such a great push and what they were oh, doing yeah. with him was, was pretty fucking great. No, I I it just goes back to me with the whole Finn Balor thing. Saying Finn Balor can get over a, a fractured jaw seems like almost as legitimate as being out for a separated shoulder. Like, like I don't know how the fuck they're not going to have to take the title off of Finn. Um, but as of right now, they haven't made that type of decision. But do you think the match, even though it was awesome, and we'll get to the breakdown of what happened at the end of it, do you think it might have been a bit too snug based on Kyle losing teeth and Finn fucking up his jaw, fracturing it? Oh man, it's so it, it was a very stiff match for sure, and they were definitely trying to have match of the night, and there were some stiff ass shots in this match. As as <laughs> anytime someone's losing teeth and getting a broken jaw, maybe you went a little too stiff. Uh, this was a wonderful, wonderful match, but I, I could see people being a little turned off by the fact that they both almost killed each other uh, during different uh different parts of this match there's a there's a uh one section in this match where balor gets put into like a knee bar uh against the middle ropes and then an achilles like a a heel lock or a heel clutch or an achilles lock i should say or an ankle lock or something and balor sells it like his leg was absolutely demolished and i thought his knee was injured not his face (laughs) because they went so quick to the finish after that, because it was like right after that segment where O'Reilly's just hooking his leg repeatedly, because you had the 1916 that happened, and then right after that, O'Reilly's just like hooking him repeatedly on his leg, and then they went directly to the finish. So I thought, <laughs> I thought Finn Balor's leg was fucked up, not his face, uh, which proves how good both of these guys are. But yes, I would I would say this match was maybe a little too snug. Yeah, and I don't, I, I can't find, I'm trying to find this breakdown where O'Reilly got fucked up. I know where Finn did, it's it's when he did the running knee in the corner, he connected way too hard, obviously, and hit him right the fuck in the jaw. And Finn was just, he kept on touching it and pushing it up and stuff like that. Like So obviously, they kind of, 
And I mean, for that incredible of a match, the fact that they had to go to the finish, if you will, kind of quickly towards the end because of what happened, they did a great job and it still was an excellent fucking match. And uh, just just brutal. Um, so the, the ending itself, I think this is kind of in the midst of what you were talking about with those him working on the leg. Uh, he has him in the uh, he has him in the heel hook. Balor keeps fighting and eventually gets free. They're both on the mat trying to regroup. Balor attacks from behind on the mat with forearms. Balor grabs O'Reilly and powers up, then brings him right back down with the big 1960 1916. Sorry. O'Reilly still kicks out. Balor goes to the top, but wastes some time on the apron. He climbs up, but O'Reilly kicks the rope to crotch him. O'Reilly grabs Balor's leg and hits a dragon screw leg whip on the ropes. Uh, O'Reilly does this again, but to the middle rope. While they're both standing, Balor is still hung up on the middle rope. O'Reilly goes to the top and nails a big uh, double knee to his chest. O'Reilly goes to the top while Balor is down. In the middle of the ring now, O'Reilly goes for the flying knee drop to Balor's knee. O'Reilly goes right into the ankle lock. Balor tries to fight free from the hole, but O'Reilly goes into the heel hook again. Balor fights and screams while O'Reilly has both uh, heels locked in. O'Reilly tightens and has submission applied for a few minutes now. Balor finally crawls to the bottom rope and grabs it to break the hold. Um, You hear NXT from the actual fans. Uh, that were down there. The referee uh, checks on them, and they start to recover. They get up, and O'Reilly kicks Balor back down. Balor dodges a kick. Balor almost suckers O'Reilly in with his hesitation, immediately takes him down and gives a double foot stomp. They tangle some more, and we get a German suplex, but Balor rolls through and hits a double stomp to the chest. The crowd goes wild at the back and forth action, and they keep moving slow. Balor moves the apron and slowly pulls himself up. He climbs back to the top and delivers a coup de gras for the pin to retain. Um, and we'll talk about the aftermath that doesn't that doesn't matter now, <laughs> uh, based on what happened on NXT. Uh, but yeah, like I said, man, excellent match, very hard hitting. I mean, these guys are both influenced by a lot of guys that like to hit hard. Uh, there's a lot of similarities. I've heard Jim Cornette say this. I've heard many people with Finn and Dynamite Kid. And obviously, I don't think Finn has some of the issues Dynamite has, um, including he takes care of his body a bit more. But, you know, you can tell that he was he liked Tiger Mask, Dynamite. You know, guys that really fucking hit hard, basically. Japanese wrestling in general. And Kyle O'Reilly is an MMA guy, so it's like you put those two combinations, Japanese strong style against MMA, you know, it's some knees and kicks are going to fucking get there, and shit's going to happen, I guess. But uh, as far as being a fan, if you want to show one of your friends that will shut the fuck up about about wrestling not being real or they don't hit each other, you can definitely show them that match, you know. But, uh, yeah, excellent match. Any other details um, before we move on to the ending of TakeOver, Chris? I I would just go as far to say that this match was better than anything I've seen in the G1 so far. Wow. I think this is easy, like easy, easy. uh, The best match WWE's had this year. And I think it's better than anything I've seen in the G1. And there's been some really good shit in the G1. But as far as selling, 
Um, if you take out the fact that they actually injured each other, this is a fucking great match. And I didn't, and I'm, I'm cutting it off at the finish of the match and not including this aftermath, but uh, I will go as far to say that this is one of, if not the best match I've seen this year from any company. thought it was fun. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I do love that we had, Two matches that are the reason why I'm a wrestling fan, and somehow they're both from WWE. Obviously, this one from NXT, but because of the brutality, because of the actual fight, because of the wrestling involved, this match was excellent. And crazy, Jey Uso and Roman Reigns, man, for the storytelling specifically within their match was great for a completely opposite reason. So somewhat kudos to WWE for being able to provide that because normally I don't think of them to be able to pull either of those style matches off anymore. I guess, I guess more with NXT though, I would say. And I'll give credit where credit's due because that AW fucking street fight match, the tag team street fight. Yeah. Match also really that great. was great. And the match we're going to talk about a little bit later on Wednesday was great, but so yep. far after watching I think I'm on night eight of the G1 and watching all of AEW and NXT and some of the Ring of Honor stuff and Impact stuff. This by far has been my favorite match so far. But there's been a lot of good stuff. I mean, that's not taking away from anything that has been done, but this was by far one of my favorite matches I've seen probably since, let's say, the start of the year. So we'll say this year in general from any company. Yeah, I uh, was just very, very impressed. Uh, another good match, if you guys want to check it out, happened not too long ago, was a match with uh, Eric Young and uh, Eddie Edwards for the uh, Impact title. That, that was another one that was like, all right. Or, actually, when fucking Motor Machine Gun went against the North, that was there's been some good out there as of lately in the last couple of months. But usually with WWE, it's kind of hard to find those two good of matches that are both completely different styled wrestling matches presented within like a month's time. I don't usually give them that much credit, but uh, um, yeah, Rich Holland came out at the end with Adam uh, Cole's corpse and we're not going to know what the fuck happened with that. My biggest question to you is <sighs> you can push Rich Holland, have no problem with that. I think he's, you know, he's got a lot of potential and shit like that. It's, it's really unfortunate. And we'll talk about what happened with his injury. But if they're going to have a guy that takes out Adam Cole, who's related to the Undisputed Era, why wouldn't you choose Dexter Loomis since he just made his return on the NXT beforehand and already has gotten jumped by Cameron Grimes, had his like you know first match on this last NXT? If you're going to have Dexter come back, why wouldn't you go back to that situation instead of bringing fucking Rich Holland into it? That was so random, so weird. But uh, I guess we're not going to have a breakup of the Undisputed Era. Um, what- I mean, do you, do, you, do you want the honest answer on that? Sure. They brought in two mystical characters with Karrion Cross and Dexter Loomis. And Karrion Cross is by far the better person. Uh, and Ridge Holland is more of your t- typical, prototypical Triple H, Vince McMahon guy, let's say before injury. So they're going to get pushed over Dexter Loomis, which now is going to be a little changed because of the injury. But 
I definitely see why WWE would do what they did because of how they book. Um, and Rich Holland is is very fucking impressive. But this match did not need this as an aftermath. I think it actually took away from the show itself. You could have just done this at the beginning of the show on Wednesday. Yep. Well, uh, let's talk about Wednesday. Let's go right into it. Let's talk about NXT um, from this last week. A lot of NXT stuff, you know. Uh, but anyways, uh, we first have a match. This was another fucking good match. I didn't expect this right off the start. And I forgot what we'll find out later when we talk about AEW, what was competing with it. But both, it was like, fuck, I don't know which one to watch. It was one of those situations because Tommaso Ciampa and Kushida just have a banger of a fucking match to start off. Uh, they're back at the Performance Center and the CWC Center. Um, and yeah, both guys come out and you have fucking angry Tomasa Ciampa, who's a heel again, fucking crazy, Sicilian psychopath, and this built-up Kushida that's not fucking around with anybody, and I hope we get more of this. Uh, I I love this match. It was a lot of fun, but it was like, should they have had this, like you said, kind of, should they have had this on a pay-per-view, unless they're building a feud between the two of them, because I think Velveteen Dream is going to be out of the mix with Kushida. Uh, no reason to go back there, but, uh, all right. So towards the end of the match, Ciampa eventually, uh, fights out of an arm bar that's applied to him from Kushida, uh, with a big power bomb and they're both down. The referee counts. They get up in trade strikes in the middle of the ring. Ciampa with strikes in a row, but Kushida comes back with kicks. Ciampa with a fisherman suplex for a close two count. Ciampa goes for the fairy tale ending again, but Kushida ties the arm again. Uh, Ciampa rocks him with the right. They tr- tangle some more, and Ciampa kicks away with several boots to the face. Kushida comes right back with a big right hand. Kushida grounds Ciampa with a boot into his shoulder. Uh, Kushida then stomps away as Ciampa yells out. Kushida with a hooverboard lock now. Ciampa cont- continues yelling out, then powers to his feet with uh, the hold still applied. The Velveteen Dream suddenly appears. On the top turnbuckle, uh, with a cast on, Dream leaves Akushida to hit him, but he hits Ciampa instead. The ref calls for a DQ after the bell. Dream turns back to Kushida, but Kushida attacks him and unblows. They brawl on the floor, but Kushida stays on Dream. Dream retreats and runs away uh, over the barrier. Uh, Alicia Taylor announces the winner as Kushida looks on. From the ramp, Ciampa recovers in the ring, and his music hits, and neither are satisfied with the result. So I guess I missed the dream part. I don't remember that fucking at all. So I, I must have been, you know, saw that the match should end somehow and was paying attention to what was going on in AEW. So I apologize. I guess I'm wrong. I'm kind of over this fucking feud. I want to see Kushida and, Tuma- and Tommaso Ciampa, and it looks like they want to fucking keep on fighting. What do you want, Chris? Well, I mean, I obviously want Ciampa versus Kushida just because the match itself is going to be fucking phenomenal. But they kept up with Kushida being an absolute dominant force. To me, he handled the majority of this match and uh, moved out of the way to let Ciampa get bonked in the head with a cast by uh, 
by Velveteen Dream, and then Kushida continued to try to destroy Velveteen <laughs> Dream's arm, which is fucking incredible. Uh, but yes, I, I do want Champa versus Kushida in the future. I just don't know how you, you get there. They're definitely continuing the feud with Kushida and Velveteen Dream, so this may have just been a one-off, but at least it made both competitors... I don't... It made both competitors just come out 50-50 because you could say, well, we've seen Ciampa come back from worse kind of thing. Uh, but Kushida took like 75 to 80% of that match. And they're definitely booking him strong, which is awesome because Kushida's fucking great. Yep. All right. Well, uh, next we back up, we have uh, Ember Moon, who's in the middle of the ring with the mic. She thanks everyone for uh, the uh, pop she received and says she's surprised they let her talk tonight because it's been a while. Um, Moon says she's been in isolation for 14 long, hard months. She's back now, and she sees a lot of things have changed in NXT. Moon uh, took her bike and rode on the long road for miles and miles and miles, and she found clarity. She found who the real Ember Moon is. She found a thing called Ember's Law. As coins it sounds, she says. Ember's Law says no one can walk over her and tell her what to do because she's going to do what she wants to do because she's Amber Mood, damn it. She says one thing that is absolutely the same thing. Mama wants some gold, baby. The music interrupts and out comes Yo Shirai, the NXT Women's Champion. Moon stares Shirai down as she marches in the ring. Fans chant for Shirai as she takes the mic. Before Shirai can speak, the music interrupts, and out comes Rhea Ripley to the stage. Ripley loves Moon's new attitude and says she uh, deserves a title shot. Raquel Gonzalez silently attacks with Dakota Kai, and they drop Ripley on the stage. They continue. The Moon runs up and makes a save. Referees and NXT general manager William Regal rushes out to break it up. Regal announces that later on tonight, Moon and Rhea Ripley will go against... Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, there appears to be a bit of tension between Moon and Ripley. And after that, we see a scene where Drake Maverick basically has forced Killian Dane to be in a tag match with him and is wondering why he hasn't called or texted him back. Uh, and um, yeah, Dane appears, tells uh, Drake once again that they're not friends or a tag team. And he won't take no for an answer. So wondering why he hasn't gotten his phone number. Dane says there's a reason why he's not giving it to him. Drake reveals that he and Dane will face Everrise tonight. Dane is furious at, at Drake for getting the match made. Dane storms out. And, and once again, um, Drake doesn't understand what's going on. He's just, he's just trying to have some fun. Uh, I don't know about that whole thing. But I will say... You know, and we'll talk about her in-wing work. She's just now getting back, and I don't think that she's ever been the greatest on the mic. You can tell that was way too much fucking dialogue for her. Um, but the idea of so now the women, you know, we're getting down to at least the top tier. It seems is Rhea Ripley, Io Shirai, and Amber Moon. You know, you can kind of. Dakota Kai is probably close to that as well. Um, I don't know about her bodyguard, Raquel Gonzalez, but I'm sure Tony Storm is too. But those three, I think, are the women's division until 
Rhea inevitably leaves, uh, which I think will happen uh, sometime soon. I don't know. Maybe tonight. And they just won't tell Triple H. Wait, wait, who? Dad, who? Wait, who are you putting on SmackDown? Dude, no, uh, God damn it. What, what do you think, Chris? What do you think about Ember Moon's return and Drake Maverick's hijinks with, with Killian Dane? What was the fucking the Ember? What was the thing they called Ember it? Ember Law. The Ember Law. So they wrote this for Daniel Day-Lewis, right? Because <laughs> I think he's one of the only actors that would be able to give this convincingly. Poor Ember Moon, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, she could have came back and been like, I thought my career was over, but my career is not over. I had an Achilles injury. I thought I was done for the rest of my life. I even announced it. I rode on my motorcycle and came back. Like, she only needs like 10 sentences. They fucking give her this fucking monologue. It's like eight pages long. And they're like, all right, now go out there and deliver it. Like, that's a WWE thing. <laughs> it's such a WWE. Like, either that or she is one of the worst promos of all time, Dane. <laughs> because it was painful. As much as I love Ember Moon, that shit was painful. Yeah, I have to agree with you, man. Uh, but as far as your top, uh, your top female performers there, I mean, Ember's going to get better in the ring. Um, we'll talk about the match a little later. I think that she just she looked blown up to me a little bit, and and we'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, Tony Storm, Ember Moon, Dakota Kai, Io Shirai, those are those are definitely your top. That's a good-ass top lineup to have in a female division. Oh, yeah. I feel like you could have done some kind of cool vignette with Ember Moon on the motorcycle versus having her going to the ring and do a promo. That would be, you know... Give us something different to that character, because the character in general is supposed to be... I don't want to say mystical, but to some extent it's supposed to be... So, like, a road warrior type gimmick where she's furious about the way she was treated on Raw and SmackDown and is riding this motorcycle around until she gets healed up and now she's pissed off. I feel like a video vignette may have been better than a promo. I want to see interaction with her and Shotzi. I mean, she used to be the werewolf, and now Shotzi's over here. She's about to host Halloween Havoc doing the, oh, oh, oh. You know, that used to be Ember Moonstick. Well, I mean, worst case scenario, they start a fucking tag team because, god damn it, we need a tag that team would division. That would be awesome. <laughs> god, that would be an awesome tag team. All right. Well, uh, afterwards, basically, Io Shirai said that, you know, no one's ready for Asuka. Just take Asuka out and put in Io Shirai. She's not worried about Amber Moon or Rhea Ripley. <laughs> uh, but then we also had uh, the Undisputed Air, Adam Cole, addresses Rich Holland attacking him at TakeOver and says he didn't get the memo about the Undisputed Air. They agree that Sunday was... Not a good night. Kyle O'Reilly says it was the worst night for him. He tells them he knows he didn't get the job done, but they dismiss that and praise him on his performance. Cole says O'Reilly for uh, sporting a black eye from the attack by Holland at TakeOver says Ridge broke his ribs, and now he's a dead man. Cole doesn't care why Ridge did what he did, but he's a dead man. And that's undisputed. So how did they put things, did they put a weight, like, in his shoe so that his ankle would fucking snap? Like, that was quick, reacting. Um, 
Well, that's what I was about to ask you is this is is this live or did they record this? Because if they recorded this and they're expecting that ankle to be ready for the match, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's very suspect. I think it was live. It seems like it would have to be live. If it was live, then, you know, that's different. But yeah, this it's a bit weird. I would have to look up how they filmed this, because otherwise you would assume they would just not even address the Undisputed Error stuff with him, other than like, ha ha ha, you broke your ankle. That's very Adam Cole. <laughs> idiot. Thought That's what Jericho stupid. would do. He's, he's like, stupid idiot, you broke your ankle in a match that didn't even matter. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that's two guys I'd love to see share a mic battle before, between. That's probably not going to happen. Who, Adam Cole and Jericho? Yeah. Like, you know, MJF yeah. was talking about his dream opponent outside the w, or outside of AEW. He said Adam Cole. Uh, that was oh, it. We're going to get into MJF a little bit later. <laughs> Prepare for the fucking burial. <laughs> oh, wow. Of AEW and this Chris Jericho segment that I sat through hoping there was going to be some great shit because it's Chris Jericho's 30th anniversary. Uh, there was some good shit, but none of it had anything to do with Chris Jericho. So that show is, uh, is going to get buried. Just heads up. He's giving you a heads up. So just let you guys know. Um, but you know, here's something to talk about. Everize uh, went against Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. And I mean, this was basically Drake Maverick would get the shit knocked out of him. Killian Dane would force himself to get tagged in, fucking throw uh, Drake out of the way. And at the end of it, he powerbombed Drake Maverick on top of the two members of Everrise and pinned both of them. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Uh, I don't think that he's getting the uh, message, Chris. I don't think that Drake Maverick understands that Killian Dane does not want to be his friend. Yeah, don't care. I'm over it. I've been over it. <laughs> they fucking wasted Drake Maverick, and no one cares about Killian Dane, and they're not doing a good job of building Killian Dane. So, just over it. Yep, I agree. All right, so we have a match. This is what this was a weird situation, but so Austin Theory has a match uh, against Leon Ruff, who's a new recruit, very uh, small guy, I would say, but he did. He's uh, part of the last class if you will, that just got uh, started at NXT. So uh, good for him. But this was a match to make Austin Theory look like a monster. Uh, you know, uh, beats him pretty quickly, gives him the ATL in the middle of the ring, covers him, uh, one, two, three. And then after the match, uh, the music hits, but Theory takes his mic. He says that's what happens when he is given a proper warm-up. He admits Adam Cole caught him last week. But with Cole around, his buddies now, Theory, could be proving him why he's the future of NXT. Theory pokes at Cole for having uh, hurt ribs and goes on to declare that he is the future of NXT and no one can do anything about it. And we get that weird fucking video and music from Dexter Loomis that interrupts. Loomis slowly walks in the ring, staring Theory down. Vic uh, says Loomis uh, has answered Theory's challenge, and they do a second match. And uh, I just – all right, so if Dexter Loomis is supposed to be this scary character, obviously reminds a lot of people of The Undertaker, 
I don't. It's not that he shouldn't sell. He should fucking sell, obviously. But there are parts where it's like I kind of wish, like I, I think Theory was in his face after he knocked him down. He kicked him a couple times. I wish he would have fucking just grabbed him, like you know, by the throat, kind of done a little more because he I'm, I'm, Dexter tends to get his ass kicked a lot, presented as a scary dude. But uh, he applied his silencer submission and uh, Theory tapped out. So once again, man, I mean. We have after the match, uh, Cameron Grimes coming in and attacking him and giving him the caveman. We don't really know why exactly Grimes did that, and he taunts him. So we're going to have, obviously, them going at it. Uh, Theory's still uh, building up himself. Uh, you know, another guy that might not as many or whatnot. I think he had one, and it, uh, I don't even want to get in that whole entire concept, but he still had some allegations there was still a reason why he was sent down from raw back to nxt and he's lost pretty much every match he's had besides leon ruff still fucking phenomenal at selling great in the ring and uh dexter loomis will be going against cameron grimes that should be interesting what do you think about all this chris i looked at the three athletes and then realized that still austin theory's better than all of them yeah as not only a character, but an in-ring performer. Uh, Cameron Grimes' stuff afterwards was very cringeworthy with the hat, and uh, he looked at me crossways gimmick that they're doing. And if you're bringing Dexter Loomis back, he should have just murdered Austin Theory. I agree. Like, if you're going to do it, you might as well just have him murder the guy. The guy already went through a match, even though it was a squash. Uh, if it's supposed to be a big return, he should have just absolutely demolished Austin Theory. Or just put him in the submission right away. Because, like, if you just get caught in the submission, that doesn't mean that you got, like, your ass whipped. That just means you had to tap, right? But the way they went about the match, uh, I would say, you know, most of it was Loomis. But Austin Theory still had a comeback. Which was weird. Austin Theory's like out here talking people into having indie matches with him, regardless of what the booking looks like. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to give myself over, bro. Um, So, I mean, those are the reasons I think it's a little bit weird. And if you look at the two characters with what they've done with Dexter Lewis, Austin Theory is the brightest star of those two. If you take away the sexual allegations... Uh, it's probably a good move that he's back on NXT, but I mean, he just—he's the bigger star of those guys, unfortunately. Cameron Grimes—that the whole gimmick—is he doing—is he doing Rick from Walking Dead? Is that what the accent is? Is that why he is Grimes? I don't—I don't think so. I mean, he was doing that as, uh, you know, and uh, I forgot what the fuck he was called in TNA, but he was doing that too. I, I, he's a fucking weird character. It's almost like a, like he's so crazy and weird and random. It's almost like a, a heel version of Jimmy Valiant, you know, the boogie woogie man. Who was the NWA guy that played played like the cult leader? Um, fuck. Oh, and, and oh, he became yeah. The, became the ninja. Yeah, damn it. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. Um, it's got a really weird name. It's, it's yeah. a sh- shit version of that. <laughs> like, if, uh, I'm being, if I'm being honest. 
I don't. I will look up the I don't think that less. But I. I, I, I like Cameron um, Grimes. He's he's uh he's he's weird. He's he's fun. Um, but Josie the moon shit. Josephus. Hashtag there you go. Question, the question mark. I think that him doing the gimmick is better <laughs> than Cameron. I don't know what the Cameron Grimes. The Cameron Grimes character seems like an idiot. You just pissed off a serial killer, basically. <laughs> well, he didn't he, care about that because he he don't care if it's Ridge Holland or Dexter Loomis. They're going to the moon, is what he said. Which would be fine if he's won a bunch of matches or something, but he's seemingly been getting his ass kicked repeatedly, so I don't... I don't know, Dane. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all of the Cameron Grimes from here on out because I feel like you're way higher on him than I am. I think so. I'm I I like Cameron. I don't I don't have a problem with him as much. I think he's a little bit weird, but it kind of you know works for him. But anyways, they 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 made the announcement that Finn Balor had been hurt and that he fractured his jaw. So they're being transparent with the audience. Um, I'm just wondering, like I said, you, Chris, do you think that they're going to have to strip Finn Balor of the title and do something else now again for the second time in a row? You can't. You can't. You just have Finn wrestle with a broken jaw, I guess. I don't. I have no idea how you do this. That you. You can't do the the tournament again. They just know that, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, NXT, so we're like they're probably just throw like a ladder match up there. <laughs> like I, I have no idea, but I would assume that you know Finn gets his fucking jaw wired shut and still wrestles. <laughs> that Jesus would be Christ. the the most badass thing he could do. I, I which I don't wish that on him at all. But um, from a from a standpoint, that does really suck for. I mean, it's that's just very unfortunate. What are you going to do about that as a company? You know, it's like yeah, every time you put some the title on someone, they get injured. This is two in a row. I, to me, you just you, like broken jaw. You should be back in one to two months, right? Maybe you just build out the number one division as hard as possible. Well, shit, Drew McIntyre did it in like three weeks. Remember? Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, what in bo- in boxing? If someone challenges you, or in the UFC, what is it like? Ninety? Days? Maybe this is the time where they set the rule on how long you have before you have to defend the title. Yeah, I don't know what you do in that situation, but I think if anything, if there has to be a title change and they have to do something, Kevin Owens should be involved in whatever. So that's all I'm saying. Um. But yeah. Or you just, or you just have Kushida win this motherfucker, and have him and Champa go against each other for the next month until Finn can get back, and you get Finn versus Kushida or Finn versus Champa, whichever way you want to go. But I, I, I don't know, man. You can't hot shotting the title, moving the title that fast is bad news. I would probably just come up with some sort of rule that's like, if you can't defend it in ninety days, then it goes into a tournament format or something. Or the number one and number two contender that would that would equate to them not doing fifty fifty booking, but some sort of tournament or something after a certain period of time if you're injured with the belt because you can't just strip it off a guy because he got injured like the next day. 
<laughs> it's just a bad look. I don't know what they're going to do, man, but um, they had plans, too, with another person. Uh, this one's definitely more concrete than Finn is because they have been building up, obviously, Rich Holland. They had him as a baby face last week. Then he attacks Adam Cole at the pay-per-view. All right, whatever. But tonight was definitely not his night. He had a good back-and-forth match with Danny Burch, who we know is a really good UK hard-hitting, you know, European-style fighter. And they had a good match. It was short. Uh, Ridge Holland won it, but it was a dive after the match uh, by, I believe, Oni Lorkin, who came out to help out his, uh, you know, tag team partner after, you know, Ridge was doing his thing. And, uh, God. I mean, no, I think it was Birch. No, Lord, no, 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 that's right. That's right. Either way, he caught one of them from a fucking suicide dive and fell back, and his ankle, his left on his left side, just you could see it just crack right in the middle, Psycho Sid style. Um, and he just fell down, obviously. And Danny was punching at him, but he didn't realize what the fuck happened, obviously. He just thought he fell over and was selling. And they had to separate them, pulled up the X. And uh, yeah, Ridge Holland, who I'm assuming they had some, uh, some hope for. And I hope everything's okay with them. I hope he makes a speedy recovery. That looked like a fucking nasty injury. It was gross. And uh, just just sucks. Um, well, any other statements about that, Chris? No, I mean, I think you hit the majority of them. That definitely sucks. Uh, I would assume that he was going to catch them and demolish that team in a squash type deal. And then shit went very awry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very unfortunate because they seem like they're super behind Rich Holland and the fans seem like they're pretty behind that guy. It's got a good look, pretty good in the ring. We'll see what happens. I mean, a broken ankle, what, five, six months, come back clean, depending on what it is, if you didn't tear like any ligaments or anything. So NXT just getting slaughtered with injuries, unfortunately. And on this one, I mean, no one's really, I mean, I would assume, I I mean, if you're going to point blame it would be ridge for not getting his feet planted but it's just one of those things it's not like anything they were doing was unsafe this was a cross body that he was supposed to catch a guy on to demolish that team as far as how i saw that being booked i mean it's just bad luck really sucks though yep really really sucks uh Let's keep on going. There's a bunch of segments, so I'm just going to try to like go through the meat of all these. So we have Johnny Gargano. Uh, he finds a USP to the TV that Indy Hartwell sent over, and it kind of reveals that during the, the Battle Royal, kind of cool that they actually map this out because you couldn't notice it during the fucking thing, uh, but there was many times where Indy saved Candice LeRae, and uh, just uh, interesting, I guess, a little... I hate this fucking storyline, but interesting nonetheless uh we also had a thatch uh thatch's thatch can a timothy thatcher segment um then they recapped what happened with rich holland not good like we said um and the match with shotzi blackheart she went against xia lee and beat her really fucking quickly and xia lee the weird thing about this is that after um, Blackheart hit the uh, big senton to Lee's back, covering her for the pin, 
for a fairly quick win. Uh, Blackheart stands tall as her music hits. She poses in the corner and howls at Lee uh, as she sits up. But now Boa comes down to the ring and hands Lee a piece of paper, apparently with Chinese writing on it. He talks to her, and she looks surprised at the paper. Lee rolls out of the ring and heads the back as Boa follows. So their first male uh, Chinese wrestler that we haven't seen in a long time, Boa, uh, came out with their first or their second uh, female competitor. What the fuck's going on? Is this another, another mafia angle? I mean, it worked with Santo De- Santos Escobar, but, like, are they trying to do some Yakuza storyline? Like, I don't fucking did, know. Did, did, did it work, though? I feel like I feel like we're still on the fence on whether that actually worked or not with Santos Escobar. Well, regardless, you know what the hell's up with this? I I just wrote that it was not very good. <laughs> I, I wrote this is bad, and then I remember watching AEW instead. So. I don't have a lot of comments for this other than I didn't really like it. Definitely something that you could have missed, and I would have been really mad if Shotzi lost. So if they're going to try to add, I guess, some wrinkle for Zia Lee to help her add some more dimension to her character, you know, that's fine. But usually it's I lose a lot is her, is her character. Yeah, I thought Shotzi was fine here. I did see the match portion of this, but I... I don't know. This, to me, this is like one of those things I kind of glossed over because uh, at the same time, I believe this is dog collar match on AEW. Might have been, yeah. So, so that's a tough, tough gain my attention. Even though I tried to rewatch NXT. All right. So the last match that we had was Ember Moon and Rhea Ripley. The debut of, of Ember Moon back in the ring against Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. And, yeah, the babyface is one, obviously. But uh, the end of the match would have, we have back and forth. Moon drops her uh, big kick to the face. Ripley runs in and tangles up with uh, Kai, slamming her face first into the mat. But Kai still kicks out at two. Dakota Kai is really good at selling. I got to say that, man. She can get her ass kicked pretty well. Uh, Gonzalez gets involved once again, but she gets sent out. Kai and Ripley tangle. Kai drives Ripley down for another close pin attempt. Ripley with a big kick to Kai, then a right hand to Gonzalez on the apron. Uh, Moon tags in and drops Kai with a discus clothesline. Gonzalez breaks the pin up just in time. Gonzalez tries to slam Moon, but Ripley assists and helps Moon turn it into a DDT. Ripley knocks Gonzalez to the floor. Kai kicks Ripley to the floor. Moon catches Kai with a big power bomb, but it was botched uh, some. Uh, Moon goes to the top, but Gonzalez decks her to stop the eclipse. Ripley decks Gonzalez and tries to slam her to the floor from her shoulders, but Kai assists from the ring, and Ripley stumbles back up uh, over the announce table with Gonzalez on her shoulders. Ripley and Gonzalez are both down on the other side of the announce table. This allows Moon to hit the Eclipse on Kai in the ring, covering for the pin and your winners, Ember Moon and Rhea Ripley. And after the match, Ripley joins uh, Ember Moon uh, and they raise each other's arms up. Ripley and Holland have a bit of friendly tension. Ripley and Holland, no, 
Ripley and Ember have a bit of friendly tension, but they raise each other's arms as the crowd cheers them, and NXT goes off air. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing is, and people are just going to harp on her, man, but, dude, you got ring rust. If you've been out for as long as she's been out, and even when she was wrestling, how often was fucking Ember Moon really wrestling? So, first match back, might a little bit of botch here, botch there. She got a little bit blown up, but I think give her some time and she'll be back. I mean, she's a, she's a really great... Her strong suit, besides her look, which is definitely helps her stand out since she's not the best on the mic, um, but her strong suit is her wrestling. And uh, I think that will improve. But uh, what do you think about this last match, Chris? I thought the match itself was okay. The, the thing about Ember Moon is... Um like you said, blown up is probably a good way to put it or, or gassed out. Um, she, to me, she didn't have any big botches or anything in the match. It wasn't like she was dropping people on their fucking heads or anything, but she just definitely was slower in the ring and uh, moving around a bit slower. I think that'll get better with time. Uh, it was a weird main event. I'm a, because it, it points to Rhea versus Ember Moon. So the heels were kind of an afterthought, unless they're going to continue down the tag team route. So that that would be my only problem. But I like the match, and we got to see the Eclipse, which was cool to see Ember Moon. I would have probably done, like I said, a vignette or something with her. I, I may have saved Ember Moon a little bit more for her comeback than just a, a random tag match. I know it was in the main event, but I, I may have saved her return match for further down the line. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty average NXT. Um, for a go, not a go home show, but an after pay per view, after takeover show, bit underwhelming, to be honest with you. And I love NXT, but just just being honest. Um, yeah, let's talk about the first question before we go any uh, go into anything. Oh, were you gonna say something, Chris? I, I, yeah, I was going to say this. I, I said there was no botches by Moon, but she fucking demolished Kai with that powerbomb. I just remembered. Yeah. Where Kai kind of, instead of landing flat on her back, she landed on her shoulder and neck. And, uh, that's a timing thing. Powerbombs are... I, I think you can you can go online and hear multiple wrestlers talk about powerbombs being one of the, like the least control you can have over your body, depending on how hard someone puts you down. That just seemed like one of those moments, but, uh, and, and, and seriously, when's the last time Ember Moon did a fucking powerbomb? Like, why would she do that? I, I don't oh. think so. I mean, all she needed to do was hit the finisher. Right. And, uh, she hit that perfect though, which is like crazy because it's like a front flip into a stunner, but <laughs> it looks so cool. it's such a fucking cool move. I'm so glad she's back. I think, you know, working with the cats in, 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 in NXT. And, um, I don't know. I, I will say uh, this, like you said, was an average show. Except for that first match. I thought the first match was fucking great with Gargano. And they obviously knew the Jericho stuff was happening. And they were like, you know what? We're going to give you Gargano and Kushida right off the bat. And they gave them plenty of... Or Ciampa, not... Uh, not Gargano, sorry. They gave you uh, Gargano and Ciampa, right? Or God damn it, Gargano, get out of my mind. <laughs> Kashida and Ciampa, right off the bat, and they gave just, them like fifteen. They gave them fifteen minutes. It went just through a commercial they, uh, 
you're thinking of Gargano because you're just hoping that he gets that new uh, TV um, to replace this old one. I, I, I think I'm I, I think I'm hoping for him just in case we get DIY versus Time Splitters somewhere in the future, which I would be down for. Reach for that hope, bro. <laughs> down. Hard hope. Um, here's the reason why I was saying I missed I missed the ending. I guess for the uh, uh, Velveteen Dream part because. I really enjoyed that match, don't get me wrong, but I also really enjoyed the opener that was on, uh, what you call it, AEW at the same time. And we had absolute Ricky Starks going against Darby Allin. Um, the only thing I will say, and I'm not trying to to denounce anything, uh, or, wait, 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 no, this is from last week. I'm sorry, guys. Keep it up, rip, rip, rip. All right, so my show did not give me the results. That was, I was going to say, wait a minute. This sounds like something we've already talked about. Where the fuck is the Chris Jericho show? There you go. All right, so anyways, what I really meant to say, because I'm not an idiot, is uh, this is the 30th anniversary of Mr. Chris Jericho. So I was going to ask you this beforehand, Chris. Give me, you know, some of your favorite matches, moments with Y2J. Jericho's original list where he lists out a hundred or a thousand two moves because uh, <laughs> Dean Malenko is the man of a thousand moves in WCW. It's one of my favorite Chris Jericho moments. Uh, him versus Shawn Michaels, I think, is his best match by far. Which uh, one? The the latter match later on or the first one at WrestleMania? They're both great matches. Pro- probably the Mania match, if I'm pointing to one. Where he kicks him in the balls after he hugs him afterwards? Yeah, that's pretty that's great. That's a great fucking match. Yeah, that's awesome. Him winning that's, the... That's, uh, that's one of the best ladder matches, too, is him and Sean. Sorry. I'll shut him up. Winning, no, him winning the undisputed title from Triple H. As a WCW guy, uniting those titles together, and very uh, even though the run was so short-lived, was a great moment. Like him beating Triple H to unite both those titles. Um it's fucking incredible. I mean, a lot of the moments are going to be WWF moments. I, I liked him versus Tanahashi. Thought yep. that was pretty fucking awesome. Um, Festival of Friendship. That stupid ass photo of naked Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens touching fingers. <laughs> Still <laughs> one of my favorite things of all time. <laughs> Which kind of gets brought up into this show without it being brought up into this show with a picture being given to him. Um, there's just a lot of good Jericho. I mean, and we're not even digging into like early Smoky Mountain stuff with him and uh, him and Lance as a team and Thrill Seekers. Uh, the Thrill Seekers. I, there's just, I mean, Chris Jericho is one of the greatest of all time. It's it's easy to say, and he's proven it. Um, him trolling when he came back with the light up jacket by not seeing anything and walking around the ring. Basically they were giving this sister Abigail thing a run and then they didn't know where to go with it. So they just brought Jericho back. <laughs> so it's just Jericho trolling with a light up jacket. Uh, that's also pretty good. I mean, there's so many good Jericho moments. What are, what are some of your favorites? Cause I just named like a bazillion of mine. <sighs> All right, you did name a lot of good ones, and if I can add to that list, yeah, like you said, that that the list itself, the first one, armbar, you know, uh, le- or left leg 
blah, 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 right leg. You know, he just starts getting ridiculous. Him and Dean Malenko's build up and just having the chill Iceman go from like each fucking week and each thing that Jericho just cut on just ripping at him. And Jericho was going for uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. That was one of his biggest idols when he was uh, annoying. And he would I forgot what he did to, to Malenko. He hit him over the head. And he said he did that in tribute of uh, Piper doing the coconut to uh, what you call. But he just had this annoyance. And finally, Dean snapped and you had that explosion. And he did it in real life on WCW with Goldberg, who fucking worked himself into a goddamn shoot and got pissed off. Uh, Rufus. I mean, uh, all the matches in the past I've seen in ECW and like a lot of his earlier stuff uh, in Japan and, and, and whatnot. I mean, just incredible fucking wrestler and all this stuff at WWE. When he showed up, it's probably one of the best, like, you know, uh, setups of a new wrestler in WWE in a very, very long time. And just having him interrupt a rock, having him beat the rock and Stone Cold in the same night. Like, who can fucking say that? Uh, his stuff with Sean. I don't know, man. I mean... Just everything. His the more evil kind of silent demeanor that he did when he got obsessed with uh, the villain from uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, just the whole nine yards, man. It, it's Chris Jericho, so he did a fantastic job. Also, I feel like we'd be a little blasphemous if we didn't say a little bit of the bubbly, <laughs> a little bit of the, the fact that he has retired, not fucking said certain phrases ever again. After making them famous and has done it time and time, you know, you just made the list like all those things, man. It's just he is to this generation. I, I, I said this, what Ric Flair was to his. He really was. Rick might have been a bigger draw. I'm not trying to say that. But the difference is if Mick, if, if, if Rick is Mick Jagger and that's how he gets off by being himself and strutting around, that's how he spreads his longevity. Chris Jericho is fucking David Bowie, and he has always, always changed himself to something different, to change with the times. I even love the stuff that he did with fucking China, man. Just great stuff. Just, yeah, Jericho always found a way to get himself over and doesn't really care if you like it or not. And that's part of why I like Jericho. Uh, his in-ring ability has... <laughs> We'll, we'll say has went down over the years, but he's just like Ric Flair. He's like, I only need to hit five things and I can brawl and make this match really fucking good. Uh, it's his work with Orange Cassidy, not that last Mimosa match, but the match before that proves that. I mean, he's still that fucking good. Like Jericho is one of the greatest of all time. If anyone wants to argue with me, they can meet at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> bring your list of matches that are better than Jericho matches. And I'll bring my Jericho matches. And we'll just go from there. We'll just go from there. And any motherfucker that has the balls. And I know Scott Norton put him up to the first time, but the, the, the backstage stuff with Chris Jericho, you know, him going, you know, and getting fucking Scott Hall's face after Scott Norton was like, you better not let him fucking talk to you like that anymore. This is getting ridiculous. You know, he went and, and got in his face. He fucking got in a, a, a fight and altercation with Goldberg. When when Randy Orton got fucked up in that match with Brock Lesnar, but it was already, they, they were just, that was already planned. But obviously, I, I don't understand the intelligence of trying to 
get a, a fucking uh, hard way, you know. But anyways, he got a concussion. He got in fucking Brock Lesnar's face. He's gotten in Triple H's face in the back. Like, Jericho is a level of badass. I love that he came back to WWE just to fucking do house shows, and he wouldn't do the fucking main product. And Vince was, like, like freaking out because he couldn't convince him to come on TV because that's all he was going to do because he's Chris fucking Jericho. He's a fucking rock star, man. It really is an actual rock star. And I'll let you respond to that, but then we'll also talk about the celebrities that involved that uh, paid tribute, if you will, to Chris Jericho throughout the night. Well, I mean, like, just the fact one of the primary reasons he left WWE is because they did not give Kevin Owens and him the moment when they were the primary fucking draw of the product. Like all he wanted was a good match with Kevin Owens and they gave him like 10 minutes. Um, and for that, and he said it multiple times, like if they would have gave me a better WrestleMania, maybe you would have gotten more of Chris Jericho in WWE. Uh, it's it's just baffling the things that the man has been able to accomplish over his career. In that tortoise shell promo that he did in New Japan, which no one wants to talk about, where he's talking about Tanahashi being an old turtle, is one of the greatest things of all time. <laughs> oh, and him and Kenny, man, that's another thing. Like when he did that, it was like, what? Like Chris Jericho can do that? He can go against Kenny Omega at the Tokyo Dome. And then he went against I mean, everyone over there. And, and there's been great promos across wrestling and people that have been able to get themselves over in multiple companies. But has anyone been able to do it to the level of Jericho besides Ric Flair? Where you can just come back in at any point in time and be the guy or a top guy. Whether it's versus CM Punk or Tanahashi or Kenny Omega or you know, or your best friends with Kevin Owens, has there been anyone even close to what Ric Flair and Chris Jericho has been able to do? And I can, I can give you an empathetic no. <laughs> Resounding no. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you, man. Well, one of the things that I was saying is that we got a lot of different celebrities you know, kind of stretching and, 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 and saying thank yous from comedians uh, like oh, I actually forgot his name. What is the uh, uh, Fluffy Fluffy who was with Chavo Guerrero over a, uh, <laughs> a fucking call. That was really weird. Um, you know, to Kevin Smith, uh, to Dennis Miller, who I haven't seen or even thought of in like fucking six years. Um, but you know, all the rock stars with Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and slash, I think one person in general, Chris got everyone's attention a little bit more than anyone. Do you, uh, do you have, do you have an idea who that might be? Was it Paul Stanley being the only, or not Paul Stanley, but Gene Simmons being the only one to bust <laughs> Chris Jericho's balls on his night? Cause Paul Stanley was like, good job of making all of your money being on your hands and knees while wearing a dollar bag symbol. And I was like, God damn it. Gene Simmons, the best heel in the business. <laughs> Shit. We need him to like, I want, I want to see Gene Simmons have a debate with Trump. I think that would be great. <laughs> Gene Simmons is like, I have to pay taxes. Fucker. <laughs> I have to pay taxes. No. <laughs> that would be, that'd be fun. We should, we 
they should definitely do that. Because Gene Simmons would be like, at the end of the day, I'm a Republican, but you're you're kind of a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, what what the hell is he gonna say? Uh, I think the big the big surprise I, I would I would think, and especially kind of maybe the conspiracy has reason to be there, Chris, is because um, from this, you know, we have uh, Tanahashi making a comment, and not just Tanahashi, but in the backdrop with the New Japan logo. And then later, both Lance Archer and John Moxley talked about their match at Wrestle Kingdom. Weird or conspiracy, or what do you think? God, it's such a toss-up on New Japan right now because they've got a new president. They have no American TV. Tanahashi versus Jericho. Not a bad lineup for New Japan. I think it actually helps New Japan more than it does AEW at this point, to some extent. I mean, it's going to help AEW, obviously, in Japan. But (laughs) for what it would do for New Japan in America is way bigger. Um, Yeah, that's it's absolutely crazy. The rumors I I see the Ishiban, which is like all Japan and New Japan fan page. People were marking out about that. Uh, And we have a new new president in new japan pro or new japan pro wrestling and uh they're obviously shifting the guard the g1's gonna end we have wrestle kingdom coming up i don't know about jericho's dates as far as i knew he still had dates left and so does john moxley uh so if they're trying to work out a deal for those dates because if I remember, Jericho had two dates left, and Moxley had two or three left uh, headed into COVID, and then obviously that all got canceled. It wouldn't make any sense <gasps> to pull Moxley in if he can only wrestle three days, but uh, I don't know. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I keep saying this. I know they didn't get it done the first time, but uh, Tanahashi showing up on AEW is not that far-fetched. Let's hope. Let's hope. What was your uh, what was your favorite celebrity <laughs> moment of the Jericho thing? Because Kevin Smith was pretty good talking about how he's been wearing the tight little panties for <laughs> thirty years. I think Kevin Smith was definitely mine. Uh, mine was either Kevin Smith or Gene Simmons because Gene Simmons just roasted him <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> Everyone else was really nice, and Gene was <laughs> Gene kind of just gave him a roast, which I'm sure Jericho loved. Yeah, I'm sure that he was really thrilled about it. <sighs> All right, so let's start off this uh, this night, if you will. Talking about AEW Dynamite and this whole festivities because a lot of praise and a lot of fun talking about the random celebrities and whatnot. But I gotta tell you, um, might not be too good for the show itself on some things because 
I don't know, Chris. Uh, I hate to say it, but I got a lot of negative things to say about uh, the 30th anniversary aspect, uh, especially when it comes to the main event. So I know I'm I'm just laying down the stuff now. I probably should have just waited, but I I couldn't help myself. Um, did you have any issues with I don't know the match that they had at the end or some you know building it up with all these celebrities? I don't know. I was disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I think the disappointing thing was definitely the main event. The match itself wasn't very good, which we'll get into later. But it just, I felt like maybe it was going to be a bigger show than it was. I think they gave us a really, really good, let's say, 9 o'clock hour match (laughs) to open the second hour of the show, obviously, with Cody. Um, Outside of that, though, you're, you're right, the show was not not their best effort we'll see and it's a little disappointing just because it is such a huge deal that jericho has been wrestling for 30 years and has kind of accomplished everything as we talked about earlier but yeah i i I tend to agree with you here it was disappointing just because i don't know when you think of a big festival for jericho i just assumed there would be a lot more (laughs) than what we got at the even after jericho's match like more of like a, a a festival of friendship if you will Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> which which they kind of uh, kind of went for a little bit. <laughs> kind of tributing, sort of, I guess. Very interesting stuff. Anyways, but let's start the show itself. Uh, the first match that we had was for the FTW Championship. The first, you know, time that we have uh, put this title on the line from Brian Cage, the champ. I I had no idea up to this point if it was an actual championship. Or if it was a prop, but um, he was going against Will Hobbs. Will Hobbs has been teaming with uh, kind of Moxley. He got signed not too long ago. He was on AEW Dark. He was in that Battle Royal. And uh, this was a pretty good slap and meat fight. Uh, at the beginning of it, though, uh, JR kind of confused uh, who was with them uh, for commentating along with Taz, who was Ricky Starks. Did he call him Ricky Skaggs? I, don't, I know he's a country artist. I don't know... This seems like right up yeah. your alley. But <laughs> yeah, he called him he called him Ricky Skaggs, which is hilarious. Ricky Skaggs is a uh, very famous bluegrass picker. So even outside of traditional or or what most people would consider country, <laughs> um, it was a deep cut <laughs> aimed at a very target audience. <laughs> Ricky Skaggs is a phenomenal mandolin player, but he plays you know multiple instruments. Obviously, he's played on a ton of fucking records. Yeah, I don't think that that was the guy next to to uh, which we call it um, Taz and Taz and Ricky both didn't seem happy about that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I think I, I like Ricky Skaggs more than <laughs> Ricky Stark, so there's that. <laughs> well, there you go. He might be more over. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh. I don't know what to say about that whole thing. It doesn't matter. It's it's JR. Shit happens. It's fun. You move on. Uh, but the match itself kind of that that at the beginning was really funny and stood there. I think one of the cooler spots was when I know a lot of people probably would not like this who like wrestling, but when Brian Cage gave him a suplex and then he Will Hobbs immediately gave up and gave him a suplex. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Brian Cage would inevitably win. And afterwards, uh, Taz gives uh, Will Hobbs a opportunity to join the group and 
Darby Allen comes in and thwarts that. Thought it was pretty good, uh, you know, just in general. And he's supposed to answer by next week. Who knows if Will Hobbs will, like, turn on Darby Allen is what I'm wondering. I could I could see that for sure. I could, I could definitely see their see Will Hobbs kind of leaning more towards the Taz thing. Maybe you create a big guy tag team. Um, it just really depends on what they're wanting to do with him. It seems it seems like they're trying to push him to the main event a little bit. So I, I don't know if they're gonna. Hopefully they wouldn't lump him in with Taz. I'm assuming that if they're really gonna defend this FTW title, maybe that's the first thing Will Hobbs gets. Um, in all of this, it's just weird that they're still continuing with the Darby Allen stuff after Darby Allen has beaten Ricky Starks multiple times and murdered him with a skateboard. Uh, <laughs> but I guess it goes back to that battle royal, right? Did he ever get payback for that? I don't think so. I don't remember. <laughs> They've been grouping him so much together. I have no idea. You know, because I. Because I remember, like, at the pay-per-view, they put him in the body bag and with all the thumbtacks and slammed him a few times. But I don't remember. I'm assuming that he's already gotten he payback for that. He showed up and fought with John Moxley and Will Hobbs in the audience, I think, once. No, no, no. Moxley called him and told him to get there, and then they had that three-on-three. That's right. So they're a band so of, he... of goons together, you know. They're not going to take the shit of Taz and his group. Or <laughs> Lance Archer. Or it's, it's, it's kind of a headache. It's a little bit of a weird mid-card thing that they have going on with Taz's the heavyweight group in title. general. I'm sorry. Sometimes I feel like, you know, and I love John Moxley. It really doesn't have anything to do with him. It seems like the TNT title presents itself higher than the, the world title a lot of times. Yeah, but I mean, it's because it's highlighted on TV more. I don't know what you can really... That's the one thing about having like a television title or an IC title. I mean, if you go back to... And who they have it on. I mean, having it on Cody, who's probably their biggest star, I would say. Um, it does take precedent. It kind of reminds you of like Macho Man in the 80s with what they did with the IC title, where that's like actually the main belt. Uh, yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know a way around that, though, because it's a TV title. And the, the idea is it's defended every week. <laughs> So <clears throat> the only thing you can really do is give John Moxley a really great feud to make people care about. And right now, I don't think that Lance Archer is necessarily the guy. Yeah, just so weird. Like I said, with the two promos that I really like, one from Lance Archer and one from John Moxley, it was weird for them to bring up their match from uh, Wrestle Kingdom. A little strange, uh, but we already talked about that. We also already obviously talked about, you know, the all the celebrity people. Slash, Dennis Leary, Hiroshi Tanahashi, his father, Ted Irvine, and Bully Ray all wished him happiness and whatnot. And then, like I said, Moxley and Lance Archer have their promo, which, like I said, they involve. I, I thought it was a really good package. I thought that Moxley sounded great. He's, he's great at promos, man. It's one of his bread and butters, I would say. And uh, just having... They're, they're hyping up this match, I think, really well. But I don't – here's the thing, because <laughs> I know how they book big men. I don't see Lance Archer winning. I wouldn't see why he would win anyways. Regardless, he's already lost the TNT option. Brody Lee lost to Moxley. He got the title from Cody and now just lost it, you know, as a placeholder basically for it. It's just uh, – like I said, man, 
I'm glad that Miro is playing uh, games in the audience and shit. I think he was playing pinball, but uh, just strange how they booked big men. But uh, how did you like the package itself with Moxley and Lance Archer? As far as a promo package goes, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I could use more Jake the Snake, <laughs> but I could always use more Jake the Snake. Uh, yeah, no, it's a good little package. I think the biggest thing here is, like you said, with the the TNT TV title, uh, the promo you get from Cody is better than either of these promos. <laughs> so it's just weird that he's not the heavyweight title holder. Um but that comes with its own set of problems since he can never challenge for it again. So <sighs> he seemingly would have to turn heel <laughs> and go back on his word to be part of the main event. But, you know, like I said, Cody is kind of the main event at this point. <laughs> so yep. Moxley is just kind of an afterthought. I, I, I don't they haven't done anything wrong with Moxley. It's just there's not he hasn't had that big opponent. I think like maybe it will either be MJF or. Or Cody eventually. I mean, that's well. I mean, they already did MJF. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. I just thought that's. I I didn't think that they were done with that yet. (laughs) Like, it seems like they had one match and then just kind of that was it. (laughs) They never had any follow up. I want Tanahashi. I want Tanahashi to come over here and do a program with John Moxley for the title for a little while. I think that would be awesome. Are you going to give Tanahashi the title? <laughs> or are we just going to have a time limit draw? But the thing because... is, I mean, the thing is, if, if you put it on Tanahashi, that's sending good faith and maybe we can have an interaction. And like I said, there's a lot of stuff pointing to me that, you know, because of what happened with their president leaving, who obviously had animosity, along with other people working for New Japan, you know, uh, now that two weeks later, and we're seeing Tanahashi with the New Japan logo in the background. They're talking about a match and having video package from those matches on their fucking thing. Like, I keep on saying I hate beating a dead horse, and maybe I'm just getting my hopes up. It would be kind of fitting, since he was the one on there, for Tanahashi to make that jump first. And it would make a lot of sense, because Tanahashi can do an American program, because he's basically the Cena in Japan. So... They can do stuff without him, and he can come right back and be at the top no matter what, you know, a couple months later or two months later or whatever. But maybe I'm rambling. No, I mean, I think it's a good point, and it's something we pointed to originally when they lost their TV deal. Uh, You would think their new president would want to get their product on American TV to try to find a new home for their show. Because right now, they don't even have, like, New Japan, you can't even see it without (laughs) going through New Japan World if you're... You know, in the United States, which is probably the best way to do it anyways, but uh, if you're trying to get more eyes on your product, you know, having Tanahashi, who's, like you said, they're John Cena, they're legend, um, show up on, on TNT, maybe that draws enough eyes that you can get a show on Pop or one of those channels. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just It's just very exciting. Uh, you know, good stuff. I've liked them. Working with other companies like MLW, AAA, now NWA, I think that's a smart thing to do in the industry, and we've been we've been harping on that for a long time. So some of the faults that I do have with AEW, uh, a lot of it's Tony being the main booker in certain aspects and shit like that. I do. I'm very happy that unlike other fucking companies, they're willing to try to interact with everyone, and they know they're the second biggest in the U.S. There's there's no doubt about that, but. 
they're still having interactions, and it seems like even building ones that we really want to see as fans, you know, or hopefully. But uh, yeah. Um, you got to think with as much money as on the table, if you can have Omega and Okada in America, it's got to happen at some point. There's just too much money to be made for both companies. Yeah, that, and that's what I see, like, Tanahashi being the first person to come over here, the one representing the company. You do stuff with him, you know, and then eventually, obviously, Okada would be very close. Will Ospreay someone I'd love to see come over here and do a program. Shit, Zack Sabre Jr., you know, throw him in the mix. Uh, tag team like uh, fucking Gorillas of Destiny, you know. There's a lot of cool things you can do with that interaction, so let's, yeah, let's just keep on hoping. <laughs> At least it'll give Gorillas of Destiny some opponents. <laughs> like, oh, God. I feel like I've watched them have the same matches for like two years now. I agree, man. I completely agree. I mean, as much as I love Evil and Sonata, who are not a tag team anymore, those matches were getting a little bit played out over and over again. Um, yeah, and, even, and yeah. even before that, when the Bucks were there, it was the same problem. Their tag division is it's very weak. It's abysmal. Well, they lost. Well, let's let's think about this. War Machine gone. Uh, uh, Young Bucks gone. Um, you know, maybe I'm not doing a good job of breaking this down. Uh, what's McCall? Gallows and Anderson gone. There's quite a few tag teams they lost in a pretty, like a five year period that just kind of decimated them. Yeah, that and breaking up of factions over the time. Um, yeah, it's it's. I don't want to say it's as bad as what WWE has. There's some things about WWE that's better, but the matches themselves in New Japan, the tag matches themselves are generally better than WWE's main product. Yep. Obviously, AEW has the tag game on lock. Yep. Let's say them and Impact, man. Them first, Impact second. They both have really promising tag team divisions. Now I just thought about the Motor City Machine Guns. God damn it. Yeah, I mean, well, they, that happens. The thing about Impact that's impressive is that they have a smaller budget than any of those other companies, yeah. but have a very solid tag division, which is impressive. Yep. Well, they, they, the, the one thing that they do that I think NXT does, well, at least has tried to, they, they're another one that got kind of depleted, but NXT at one point, uh, uh, AEW, they take the tag division seriously, unlike certain other shows. Um where it could be a main event for a show just being a part of the tag division instead of having to be the heavyweight belt or even the, you know, mid-card belt. So, and I think I think New Japan shares that same concept, too. It's just, like I said, I think that they've depleted their, their tag division. They need a lot more. Yeah, and obviously with them not having TV on, Ameri- like, American television. Um, yep. Tag team wrestling in Japan, it's always been a thing, but it's never, it's always been about the singles, and, and at least in New Japan. I mean, that's yep. that's why they have, like, the Super Junior Cup and the G1 and et cetera. But they just uh, take it a little more serious than Raw and SmackDown with WWE. Yeah, well, they, they definitely take at least the prestige of their titles more seriously. Yep. and like being a champion there. Some might say they have too many belts in New Japan, though, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, as long as the open weight is on fucking Suzuki, I don't care. If him and Ishii forever just keep on going back and forth with that motherfucker, 
Just uh, someone tell uh, Goto, you know, he's fine. He doesn't have to have it every five fucking seconds. Then he can get rid of <laughs> I think it would be amazing if Suzuki is the one that shows up on AW <laughs> just to fight Moxley again. Oh my god. If he comes out in the audience, someone's talking shit about to him. Whoever, maybe MJF calling him out again, and it's all a setup. You have Moxley in the audience, and then Suzuki just, boom, right from behind, demands the U.S. Like, title. Demands that he get back the U.S. title and bring it back to fucking Japan that Moxley has been hoarding over here in the U.S. And just, oh, that'd be great. <laughs> it would be incredible. That match that they had was so fun. Uh, by oh. no means was it like a five-star classic or anything, yeah. but it was a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> It's two psychos meeting up. It's like the same equivalent if we ever got Roddy Roddy Piper in the mid-80s against Terry Funk in the late 80s, you know? Like, two crazy fucks just staring at each other. Not scared of each other. There's actually a legitimate, like, we're going to fucking hit each other in this. And, and you know, we're going to take it and we're going to keep on going. Because that's how both of them are. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Also, we're gonna work stiff, but we're not gonna break each other's jaws or knock teeth out. <laughs> Looking uh, at you, Finn Balor. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a good point to that match, man. You know, I saw uh, Twitter and its wonderfulness, and uh, Jericho got offended from a statement because he was praising the main event, and someone said, "You guys should probably take notes with Balor and uh, Kyle O'Reilly from Takeover." And to that, he said. Oh, yeah, so we can break our fucking teeth and knock our jaw or some shit like that. Yeah, I'd rather play smart. So, um, good points on both uh, on both sides. But uh, some some uh, angry pot shots from Mr. Uh, Le Champion. Yeah, as Lance Armstrong, or not Lance Armstrong, uh, Lance Storm would say, uh, there's a difference between working snug and working stiff. <laughs> uh, yep, but he was also one of the guys that praised the fuck out of that match. So, I mean... Well, I gushed, I gushed all over that match, too. Yeah, we both um, love it. But I, to- yeah, we don't want them killing each other, though, yeah. <laughs> either. The thing is, as as beautiful is, and I love the wrestling uh, of back in, in all Japan uh, with Misawa and Kenta and Kawada. What's the fourth pillar? Oh, no, I feel like a fucking idiot. Doesn't matter. Um, just yell at me online about this. I'm, I'm having a brain fart, guys. But... Think about what happened with one of those guys, and arguably the the well, I don't know. Kenta Kobashi is really popular of the four of them, but Misawa was beloved, and he broke his neck. No, he completely decapitated himself in the two thousands because he fucked up his neck that badly, and that's something that we talk about New Japan with, with dropping on the neck. But it's also the stiff punches that they used to do. That's kind of, I mean, it's still Japanese strong style, but fuck in the nineties. It was violent. They threw everything at it, and they all, you know, pretty much had short careers. And Misawa, still during his career, ended up dying from, I think, a just a fucking uh, um, what you call it, a brain buster. He just fell right on it, and he was decapitated. I mean, his head was still on, but he actually se- severed his friggin' spinal cord. That's ridiculous. So, yeah, there is there is something to be said. Is I, I love brawling, and I love people actually having connection. Just going a little bit too hard. Dynamite Kid is a good example of that, too, as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of examples from All Japan and New Japan. Um, I mean, e- even mo- more recently, the the infamous headbutt to Okada, right? Yep. Like, 
<laughs> Shibata's career is over. He is now officially just a trainer for the American Dojo. If he um, gets one cussed, really stiff, anything he could like he could literally die from it. Just one wrong hit. To yeah, the I head. mean, I mean, it leakage of the brain is never something you want to hear oh. <laughs> coming from oh. a wrestling match. You know, like so. I mean, and, and like you said with the necks specifically, two guys. <laughs> They just don't need to wrestle each other. <laughs> and Habushi and Naito. They're like uh, the world's worst offenders of it. I don't know. Will Ospreay's pretty bad, too. Him and Marty Skrull scared the shit out of me way too many times in the junior heavyweight division a couple years back. Uh, what are you going to do, though? Yeah, he he seems like he's dialed it back a little bit um, yeah. as, of, as of late. But, like, and so is Naito to some extent when he's not re- wrestling Ibushi. <laughs> Like, as soon as him and Kota have another match, they're going to try to kill each other. It's just guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. I was right. It was Akira. So, yeah, the four pillars of heaven. I know what I'm talking about. Damn it. I had to look that up online, guys. I just I hate being wrong or forgetting shit. So I don't want any type of, like, you know, bullying from anyone <laughs> for not knowing. We got, we got way off fucking topic, though. <laughs> so... We're about to tear, uh, at least I am, tear into this next match. God damn. And I've been, I've been fucking saying their praises so much. Uh, with um, Angelico and Jack Evans. Uh, I forgot what the fuck they're stupid. What, what, what's their name of their thing? It's like T. What the fuck? I have no idea. I just call them Angelico and Jack Evans because they're obviously the tag team name is not. I mean, it's it's better than Boss and Hug Connection, but it's also pretty terrible. Or I would remember what it was. <laughs> Either way, I, everyone has a bad night at the office. I've seen these guys wrestle good matches in Lucha Underground, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And I've seen good matches with them on Dark. Um, this was not one of them. And Jack Evans was kind of the problem. I definitely know, at least in my opinion, between the two of them, I think Angelico is a better all-around wrestler. Uh, Jack Evans is an ex-dancer. He kind of needs a lot of stuff, momentum and stuff like that to make him look good. But this was not that good at all. And I'm not going to really put it on FTR, but I just don't think this is the type of match that would work with them. And I thought they sold a lot unnecessarily for these guys that are usually displayed on AEW Dark. Get a title match, just randomly. You know, there's not anyone else within the division, Pentagon, Ray Phoenix, someone that can challenge for this shit. If, if we're taking <laughs> random names, you know, people, I, I guess they've been building it up because they've been winning on Dark. I, I, I get that concept. At the same time, I think it's kind of dumb. Because like your general audience isn't watching all those wins and getting to know those characters as well, a lot of them, you know, not the diehards like me, like Chris and stuff. So I thought that I thought I felt bad for FDR basically. I thought they had, they sold way too much for some of the shit. There was a fuck up from Jack Evans. I can't remember it exactly off the top of my head. That looked just absolutely terrible. There's nothing in like I know in Helico he like he does with um. Much more believably, I would say TJ, um, TJ, uh, god damn it, uh, he's an impact. I can't remember his last name, Perkins. No, it's not TJ Perkins, doesn't matter, but he does a lot of submission work where he'll grab one guy, throw him on the ground, and then grab another guy and get him in a submission lock. 
but he's actually buffed out and it looks legit. And I just can't think of FTR getting double submitted by one guy. Now, obviously that wasn't the win, but just this match was kind of a shit show, I would say. And uh, I like Angelico and Jack Evans. I don't want them lower, but I mean, you got you got LAX if you want to have a random match with. You got fucking, you know, Pentagon and Phoenix. Shit, butchering the blade, I would say, over this. And, you know, the guys have, like I said, bad days. And this is definitely not Jack Evans' day. Um, but FTR should have just fucking railed right through them. And I want to see more interaction with Tully Blanchard. He's a heel manager. I was glad that he got the Bobby the Brain Heenan lock thing. You know, that Bobby did to Rick Rick Rude, or to Ultimate Warrior, to lose to Rick Rude, I should say. Um, not a good match. Not a good match at all. And then what What happened with the Weenies t-shirt from, from Best Friends? Didn't really help it. It's like, God, I really was starting to like Best Friends, Chris. And then Weenies. I get it. They're kids. They're, they get driven from their mother. But they're actually good in-ring wrestlers, and I wish that it wasn't this type of silly bullshit. It just makes me take it down a level. And uh, I would rather see good tag teams, competitive, and not weenies. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm a little bit too old school. What did you think about the match and everything that preceded it? Uh, the match itself was fucking a very hard watch. Uh, Evan specifically was a clusterfuck, the majority of it. There, that flip, the fl- what happened is he missed that dot, that flip off the top, and then he just immediately set up for another move, which is which is always bad, because then it's like everyone knows you fucked up. That's a very ECW. <laughs> if ECW fans were there, you definitely they would have annihilated you up. <laughs> definitely would have got a you fucked up chant. Oh, by um, the way, by the way, I did like the ending, and I'm glad it was the ending because then Helico kind of kicked out of a lot of shit towards the end, but. Just a classic superplex on one side, splash on the other side, one, two, three. I thought that was actually a pretty good way to end it. Sorry. Yeah, and, and, and I, I know you said that like FTR, this seemingly would not be the best fit for them, but they, they've had no problems when working in the ring with the Young Bucks or yeah. SCU. So yeah, I'm, I'm, this to me lands clearly on Evans' shoulders. I don't know if he just got too excited. First time being back on TV. It's a title match. I don't know. It could just be one of those things. Uh, but yeah, I, the FTR thing, isn't it just that it's open? It's an open challenge each week now? At the 20-minute brush of greatness, I, maybe it is an open challenge. They pick out, oh, they're picking out the people to beat. So maybe yeah, that's so. why they're going for an LAX or a Pentagon Phoenix. That kind of makes more sense now. It, they should have, I mean, honestly, if that's Well, they're, they're going doing, against they, the best friends now. Uh, next week on the anniversary show for the titles, but other than that, they've been picking their opponents. And they've done a good job of having the best friends kind of get under their skin so that that match makes sense. Um, I don't see FTR losing the titles to the best friends. And I, I'm i kind of with you. You know, I don't mind a little bit of goofiness. I don't think that they needed to double down so hard on it. Like, I was fine with the blow-off uh, with them and LAX, or Pride and Powerful, I should say. Yeah, I love that. Just, just doubling down on the weenies thing and and the the goofiness of that those characters going into a super title match. I'm not, or, or, or your first title match. I'm not super stoked on. No, uh, what are you gonna do? 
Um, also, I think that we should comment on the parody uh, with the Young Bucks backstage watching the whole entire time. Nick Jackson was there. Maybe he was just taking off some time with his family and they didn't have a lot for the Young Bucks to do and they're trying to do, just, I think, pointless little segments where they attack Alex Marvez, who comes up fine the next week, or, or Tony Schiavone or whatnot. Uh, I like how Tony, in the commentary referring to it, said that he still likes them. You know, well, that's good, Tony. They kicked you in the face. What the fuck? But they're in the back doing the whole Raw, SmackDown, WWE edit where they're watching the monitors and making face expressions. And then they realize that they're on camera at the end and knock out the cameraman. Um, I don't know, man. I really – and this will, will – I mean, we could talk about it now, but the whole interview with Kenny later on, I thought it was awkward as hell. I just don't know – if, you know, it's, it's for different reasons with the Bucks and with Kenny, but the Bucks have been a part of, obviously they were quiet when they were uh, their other tag team name and Impact. They were just starting, they were getting a break and stuff like that. Ring of Honor, when they start building their flavor, they've been in these indie promotions. And then Japan, where they don't really, you know, they speak English, they don't speak the dominant language over there, so it's a bit different. They just come off overacting. And Kenny, his problem is being mainly in Japan, where... The, the performance is a little bit different. His performance was almost like an anime villain. It was, it, it worked for that style. And I feel like when they do stuff, it's like they're trying to play wrestler. They're trying. It doesn't. It doesn't come off believable at all. And I'm kind of just over the whole double super kick random people and oh well, I'm gonna have to Venmo Tony or throw money in his face. It's just kind of I, I don't get it. What the fuck are we doing? Like I said this last week, heel bucks versus baby face. FTR or heel FTR versus what, what, what the, I, I'm confused, Chris. I mean, I'm hoping what it's leading to is them finding a partner for Adam Page and Tony Khan just gets tired of their shit and brings in like a hired gun or something to fuck up the Young Bucks. I mean, that's seemingly where they're going with the storyline because, like you said, a heel versus heel story between FTR and the Young Bucks is not. And, and to be honest, you don't basically want to see that. Oh, Christopher, Actually, I might have. Uh, I lost you for a second. You're fine now, though. Okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I, it's weird. Heel versus heel, not great for what they're trying to do. I don't know, man. Very strange. Well, uh, before we get to the dog collar match, we also had like you know more shoutouts. MJF said his words. Um, Shaq, Gene Simmons, we talked about some of the stuff that he said. Don Callis, Lars Aldrich, and uh, DDP. So that was pretty cool. And the dog collar match. Um, I love the added element of them flying uh, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine in. You know, he was a part of probably one of the most famous dog collar matches with Roddy Roddy Piper. Um, and to have his reaction, the audience was good. And I thought that he was into it for the most part. He was kind of had his own little section of the crowd, it seemed. And, uh, I thought it was good, man. I really did. Uh, just a brutal match. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of certain things. I mean, spots that you, you would think would happen, like Cody getting hung at one point and just, uh, as soon as Brody Lee started getting whipped in the match, it started going into a second gear that I think just kept on going. Uh, everyone got juice. Apparently, this is Cody's new thing, is that 
not only is he going to get juiced, but the 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 manager who is John, Jack or um, John Silvers, he got juiced, and Brody got juiced. So we got a lot of juice, um, if you will, in this match, Chris. But uh, just a brutal fucking dog collar match. I liked it, um, and at the end of it, Cody fucking won. He won back the title. Uh, he also kind of just talked and cut a promo afterwards. Um, you know, and basically with that, that emotion, that passion that Cody throws it at, um, putting that, that little quiver in his voice for extra, you know, uh, emotion, but just saying a lot of people thought I was going to start to be, go to the dark side, be dark. Well, just because I changed my hair, that's not the case. I'm here for you people. I'm here for this. I am here for this. And all I heard was. Yeah, that's happening sometime soon. <laughs> because I don't know. I, I don't know why he would even mention it if that's not going to be somewhat in his future. And now I don't know. Like a lot, like like I've said, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a heel turn or if Cody is going to slowly stop being so happy babyface and kind of make his transition or his just go in a darker, you know, realm. For we saw Cody, he was overly cocky. He was super babyface. He was doing his little sting stuff, you know, happy-go-lucky, cutting these promos that were awesome, and stuff happened to him. So I think it's going to take a toll, but that's what I got out of that promo. I, I thought the match, like I said, was excellent. Um, I'm planning on watching it again because I only watched it once, and I want to I watch it back again. Maybe I'll watch it and then watch the uh, Valentine Piper match um, afterwards to compare and contrast. But uh, yeah, I thought Brody did good in this match. I, I don't know what the hell this means for him. Like I said, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's uh, very strange. Uh, what would you think? I thought this was a wonderful match. It had all of the elements of a dog collar match you would want to see. You got the hanging. You got the pulled into the ring post. Uh, I love him launching Brody into <laughs> into the manager. It was pretty great. Um, the per- you know you get that perfect dog collar moment where. The baby face finally gets over on the heel a little bit and wraps the chain around his face, and you just see blood pouring from Brody Lee. I mean, it had everything you would want from a dog collar match. This is a damn good match. Uh, I probably would have said match of the week if it wouldn't have been for, you know, Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly on that pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, that, w- that was hard to beat, but this was a damn good match, especially for a TV match. They gave him plenty of time to work. It overshadowed everything else on the show, even though it was Jericho's 30th anniversary. Uh, so I would say, you know, Cody Rhodes once again goes out, steals the show. To me, if you, I actually just watched this with my friend Sal. Uh, this reminds me of Sting from Fall Brawl, right before, let's say '96, the War Games match where he goes against Fake Sting as part of the WCW team, and he just leaves. Like he whips everybody's ass and he just leaves because he feels like, you know, WCW. Or the other wrestlers turn their back. And, and I could t- see him doing something like that with the Nightmare family. And like you said, you just get a darker version of Cody, who's still a babyface. Um, I think that makes a yep. lot of sense. But that's the comparison I would draw. And the promo was also still very Sting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm here for you people. Whoa! He just needs to start doing a, a really good howl. <laughs> Just go all the way. You've already, we've already seen you do the stinger splash in the ring. You've used the, the scorpion death lock. You know, I don't, 
Does he have an underhook DDT? I know AJ does his version of it. I love how AJ's like, yeah, man, I, I staying, you know, motivated my moves. And one of them is the fucking, the springboard flip over, you know, uh, Scorpion Death Drop that he does. And I'm like, I don't think Sting would ever have thought to do that as a beginning part, AJ. But I like you throwing your flavor into it. That's that's pretty awesome. But yeah, Cody definitely loves Sting. He loves Sting. He loves Ric Flair. And he, lo- he naturally is like his dad, man. He's got that emotion that his dad has, that raw pull-you-in-emotion. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%, man. And I don't think it's an exact replica of Sting. He's not doing an impersonation no. or, or anything. But it is. there's definitely comparisons you can draw, even with this, you know, going with the black hair and maybe becoming a little darker. Like I said, 96 Sting right before he leaves and comes back as the Crow Sting, this storyline is very... Similar, especially if he ends up turning his back on the Nightmare family and the Bucks and Kenny and all those cats, basically finally killing the elite. And maybe that's where they're going. Maybe it's maybe that is part of the storyline that that Cody has to side with Tony Khan and the Young Bucks and Kenny kind of go their own route. Maybe this maybe the maybe the storyline we think, which is FTR versus Young Bucks, is not actually where any of that is going. (laughs) And if so, that makes a little more sense. You know, and I don't know if I'd want this, but this is going full heel concept of Cody. Um, but Bubba, B- Bully Ray, I should say, Dudley, he, on Busted Open, he had a very interesting concept because a, a caller was proposing, like, you know, Bully Ray, or Bully Ray, uh, Brody Lee, he just got his ass kicked. Like, you know, what does that look like to his followers? And what if Brody Lee, they make him stand down and Cody actually ends up taking over and he said, and Dave LaGreca, of course, didn't understand the reference. I don't know if you will. He said, Cody kind of does Order 66, basically take out all the Jedi, you know, take out all the good guys. And they become much more of a darker group. Um, He was even suggesting instead of purple, get rid of that fucking shit. And he's the emperor, you know, Brody Lee's his Vader and they take out all the good guys. Uh, But... That's a very different path than the one we're talking about with Cody. But I thought it was interesting. Bully might have been high. I, I, I just feel like Cody's done with them at this point. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to go back to that for a while. I don't know what they're going to do with Brody. I think it might be a good idea for the followers of his group to start challenging him. And maybe he has to beat them back into their place. I think that's something you could definitely do with him. If you want to have him versus Evil Uno in a match or, or something to that effect. Yeah, definitely. I just thought, like I said, it was a very interesting reference. And of course, Dave LaGreca, you're not, he's like, he's like, I don't think it's a Star Wars thing, you know, blah, and, and Bully just was shaking his head the whole entire time. Like, you dumb fuck. Kill the Jedi! Oh, the Yeah. Is that also where he kills all the younglings, too? Yeah. Or is that later on? Yeah. Um, kill some shit. Hey, that's, that's probably my favorite of the Prequels? The prequels, yeah. That's, Revenge of the Sith I actually do like. I think it has a lot of redeeming qualities. It's kind of like the first one of this last trilogy I actually do like. Um, as far as, like, you know, Cody ever becoming a heel, they got to have, they got to build another baby face before they go that route. Because outside of Cody, like, the next most over baby face they have is Orange Cassidy. And speaking of which, good transition, because guess who comes out? To challenge Cody after he says that he wants to do the same thing that he did before. 
Freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. And I'm going to tell you my problem with this. I know Orange Cassidy is very over. He's very popular. They'll probably have a fun match. He just fucking lost to Brody Lee. Why the hell does he get a title match like two weeks later? So that's my my biggest uh, problem with the, that. And I mean, come on, you know, it's kind of obvious. If 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 Orange Cassidy wins the damn TNT title and they hot shot it that many fucking times, I'm just gonna roll my eyes and probably just I don't know. Unfortunately, just realize that Tony Khan has a bunch of action figures and he plays with them at his house instead of worrying about his soccer team. Um, and, you know, that's how he bases some of his uh, storylines and whatnot off of. But that's the worst case scenario. I, I mean, I guess the problem is, is if it's a television title that has to be defended every week, if Cody has to miss a week for some reason, you almost have to hotshot the title. Like, I think that's why Brody won it in the first place is because the idea is that title is defended every week. And he obviously wasn't able to make that booking or whatever and knew ahead of time. But like if, you know, I, I don't know that there's a way around that title getting swapped a lot if Cody is going to be doing other stuff. If he's done, if that talent show thing is wrapped up and he's going to be there for a while, I, I don't think there's any chance that Orange Cassidy's going to be the guy to take it off of him anyways. But I, I don't necessarily think that that's just a Tony Khan gimmick where he threw it on Brody just to throw it on Brody. I think it's the whole storyline of that title having to be defended every week. Yeah. No, you're probably right. Hold on. I'll admit, I was eating part of a sandwich. I thought I had enough time, and apparently I didn't. So, sorry about that, guys. (laughs) We're professionals. (laughs) (laughs) Um... All right, so where, I lost where I was in my notes. We just finished uh, the dog collar match. So yeah. uh, the and next then thing. We talked about, yeah, we already talked about the interview with Kenny Omega. And then the number one tourney, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, number one contender uh, thing, they, they listed the rest of the people. And it was Wardlow, Colcabana, and Hangman Page. So uh, we have Jungle Boy, Ray Phoenix, Kenny Omega. And then those three, are you excited about this tournament? And of course, is it going to come down to Adam Page and Kenny Omega? Seems that way, unless Kenny somehow cost Adam Page a tournament match. There you go. I like that. I definitely like that. Why is Cole Cobana in this? I like Cole Cobana, but why is he in this fucking thing? Just to take a loss? Yeah, he's a warm body to take a loss that's not going to hurt. Um, I think potentially if Kenny has a match with either Ray Phoenix or Jungle Boy, I think especially I'd love to see him have like the match of the tournament with Jungle Boy. I think that would be fucking awesome because I think they could have that type of match and him and Phoenix. Whew, they usually have good chemistry, I would say. I, I almost would prefer to see Phoenix versus Adam Page. I don't know how the bracket lines up, but I, I think that could steal the tournament. Honestly, that's the a way good Adam one. Page. The way Adam Page has been in the ring lately, like, I, I don't know, man. That's going to be close. I feel like him and Kenny are definitely going to try to one-up each other. So, either way, those matches should be good with those guys. Yep, definitely. Got some good people to choose from. Um, so, after that, we have uh, Big Swole and Serena Deeb. Um, I don't... Does, there's no mention at the beginning if this is, like, a number one contender or if this is just a match in general. 
Kind of sucks. Obviously, Adib's lost now twice because she would uh, lose this match to Big Swole. But I understand Big Swole beat Britt Baker. They want to push her, so it kind of made sense. Um, I just hope that Deeb gets some more wins in the future and her role isn't the person that makes the match for the person but puts them over inevitably. Um, Big Swole was fine in this match. Actually, she was there, was there was a little bit of miscommunication, it seemed, in the match, but she would in, uh, win with her rolling elbow and get the pin. Uh, Big Swole is your winner. Um, what'd you think? I thought this was a pretty decent match. I, like you said, there were some miscommunication in spots. Uh, I don't know that I'm sold on Big Swole being someone to build the division around as far as a top babyface champion. Mm-hmm. She, to, to me, she almost comes off as a heel in general. Um, that and Britt Baker, I think the fans actually love when they're supposed to hate, hate her. <laughs> so it's just a weird... It seems like they're going to go back to that, right? And uh, Deeb's losing here. Uh, it's really her first match on her second match on TV, right? So maybe they're going to build her up on Dark a little bit. Probably. But I mean, it's it's a great opponent if the idea is you're trying to get Big Swole over because you knew you were going to get a good match, or at least a very serviceable match. Yep. All right. Um, we already talked about the. There was a second Moxley promo. So is I mean, so Sheeta is still champion, right? So like, does yep. this make big? Are they going to go Big Swole versus Sheeta? I don't know, man. I have no idea. Yeah, it's that division's a little weird right now. It's, it is a little strange. Yeah, apparently, I, I think we kind of talked about the the packages in general. I didn't realize that they half and halved, uh, but. So we can kind of move on. We had uh, another package with Lance Storm, Kevin Smith, Eli Roth, Gabriel Iglesias, Chava Guerrero, Steel Panther, Ultimo Dragon, which is pretty awesome. Probably my favorite person after Tanahashi. Paul Stanley on Theater Years of Jericho. And uh, let's talk about this last match, man. <sighs> I, I do Real quick, I do want to say Steel Panther pretending that they didn't know Jericho was a wrestler was fucking hilarious. They're like, that guy's a wrestler? Because <laughs> obviously they probably would know him more from the music world. And also that just that plays into their gimmick If if, if for you out there that listen to Still Panther. It was funny. Yeah, that was that was pretty fucking funny. Uh, you know what else was pretty fucking funny? Is this uh, Chaos Project versus Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. Um, how do I even go into this? Actually, why don't you give me your breakdown and I'll, I'll, I'll feed off of you. Uh, this time. If Brian Alvarez doesn't give everyone Geek of the Week in this match, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> this match was fucking terrible. That's that's my breakdown. Uh, Luther looks like he should have stopped wrestling 15 years ago. I haven't seen any of his matches on Dark, but he was not good in this match. Um, and him and Jericho had absolutely no chemistry, and that was the main focus of the match. I get that Jericho wanted to have a match with Luther, because of their days in Canada, um, man, I I don't know. It, this match was not good. Let's just say that. Don't go out of your way to watch this. If you want to watch the aftermath, fine. But there's nothing in this match you would need to see as a wrestling fan. Yeah, 
No, I think that's uh, more than fair. <laughs> uh, it was so sloppy. Um, I think the worst part is when Dr. Luther, I don't, I think he was going for a cannonball off the uh, top ropes to the outside. Because, of course, you need that in this fucking match, too. And even though you have a luchador in it, let's just try it with uh, Dr. Luther. And he just kind of rolled forward. Fell several times. It was so goddamn sloppy. Why the hell is Jake Hager, Chris Jericho, even if it's your fucking friend, this is wrestling. We're supposed to go. You guys are in a competition. How the hell are they having problems with this? And I'm sorry. Aside from Cody, the guys, like the friends that the other people in Chris Jericho kind of got jobs, all fucking just suck. And they're all, I'm sorry, they're all jobbers. They're supposed to be that. That's what they usually do. That's what Dr. Luther does. And obviously, it's Chris Jericho's friend. Kind of same thing for Braden Cutler with the Young Bucks and the Librarian. I forgot what the fuck his real name is. And then uh, Michael Nakazawa with Kenny. At least Cody's is Sean Spears, and all the shit that I give Sean Spears, he's a little bit up on a different level than all those motherfuckers. But you get what I'm saying. Like, Dr. Luther, cool, he's there. You know, I'm glad that he's had matches with Hayabusa. I would rather see Mr. Pogo's old ass come out and have a fucking match with... I just don't know. This is your 30th year anniversary. He's been so pissy back and forth, you know, just with the whole WWE thing. I love Chris Jericho. I really do. But, like, hearing from, uh, you know, Miro that the whole grab the brass ring was his idea and that Brody Lee kind of had to be like, hey, I'm going to stray away from the Vince McMahon stuff and kind of make this character my own. You know, that had to have been said. Some of the suggestions, I, I understand he's got, like, this love-hate relationship. He definitely had a bad outing with them. But, you know, this was this was your ending? This is how, this is your, your big 30th thing? I love the ending with, MJF coming out and them kind of making fun of that and they had the clown and he took the stiffest fucking Judas effect <laughs> I've ever seen. Maybe you should sell a little bit when he hits you in the head with the fucking, uh, you know, photo, you mark. He elbowed the shit out of him. But, um, and I like the uh, little touch where it was like the SNL ending with all the heels coming out and celebrating and, you know, everything says Chris Jericho, like he was all cameraman and shit like that. And that was funny. That was a good touch. Match sucked ass. God, wouldn't it have been perfect, Chris? I know that it's been a couple of years since you wrestled, but since it was Lance Storm's 30th anniversary, if Lance could have came out, and since that was their first match, that could have been Lance's last match for the 30th anniversary of Chris Jericho. God, that would have been so much better than him trying to get his buddy that went to the same fucking school as all of them. That they know each other because they all went to uh, the the academy from um, what you call it, the Hart family, but. God, that would have... Even if you're fucking dusting off three or four or five years, however long for Lance Storm, he still would have been a better fucking performance. A million times over. And it would have been something that would have meant something. Or some interaction a little bit with some of your past, like we said, with Dean Malenko coming out and like talking some shit or stuff throughout the night. You know, I'm not saying go full WWE, but stuff to build up, not just a fucking shit match with... Uncle Fester and fucking some luchador. It was just the the dog collar match should have been the fucking. It should have been the uh, the main event. Uh, I don't know. That was terrible. I, I think you could have got. I mean, this match could have been better just by having Swagger and the Luther's tag partner in it. The majority, 
and then saving those moments with Jericho and Luther instead of them carrying the majority of the match, having them re- in the ring a shorter time. I think it would have <laughs> probably worked a lot better. But yeah, like I said, this is a shit show. I think Lance Storm would have been the obvious choice. There has to be something with the way he was furloughed from WWE that prevented him from having any affiliation with AEW. That yeah. would be my that would be my guess because we didn't even get like a video package from him. Like congratulating Jericho. No, which, he put one on Twitter. That's yeah, you're right. So he couldn't even there there has to be something where he can't even be a part of that show. Um with however the hell WWE's contract worked out. I know that he just now started doing F4W again like this month, so uh, just a weird one. He would have been the perfect choice. I mean, unless Dean Malenko is going to come out of retirement for one match. <laughs> that would have been co- that would have been awesome too. That would have been great. Chavo coming out even. I would take that. I, and wow. this is the this is the part that's going to suck about AEW with some of this stuff like this. They don't own any of the video for nope. <laughs> any of Jericho's career except for AEW. Because if you do this on WWE and it's Jericho's 30th anniversary. They own all of that footage. So, like, they wouldn't even Even have the WCW Jericho. shit. Yeah, they own the WCW. They own, they own the Smoky Mountain Wrestling shit. They own, uh, <laughs> his you know, his whole career, basically. So, ECW, like, they would have had so much more they could have done and not even have to have Jericho have a match. Uh, that's just one of the downfalls of being a new company, you know? Uh, yep, I agree with you. But, um... Let's uh let's talk about. I I do want to real quick the segment at the end. Uh, everything up until the 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 ending the Saturday Night Live ending I was not a huge fan of. I like they're still teasing this MJF stuff, but the uh it it came off very, it came off like a WWE segment, but a very 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 badly done WWE segment. I don't know if that's or I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that was my reaction to it. Yep, I, I agree. Well, I mean, all right, so the last thing about this NXT and, uh, you know, just the Wednesday Night Wars, I guess, in general, and AEW Dynamite, um, they're still, they're, they're cannibalizing their audiences. We've said this a million times. NXT, even though it kind of aggravates me sometimes because Chris Jericho seems to bring it up in every argument about, you know, they screwed up by going on the same night. Just move, you know, just just take the loss and move and all that type of shit. I get it. But at the same time, I love NXT. I love Chuck Taylor, what he said. He said in the interview, he goes, they think there's a war between us and NXT. A lot of us guys don't feel like that in the background. Like, some of those people are my, be- are, are my best friends. He's like, I was in fucking Johnny Gargano's wedding party. And, like, it was nice to hear that element as opposed to some of the more aggressive stuff, which I hate to say happens to be from people like Jericho and Jim Ross, where you can tell, for good reason, that there's some animosity between them. But when it comes down to it, they are killing their audiences, and NXT really should move to Thursday. I mean, you can kind of come at me as a mark and be like, well, they were there on the network on Wednesdays. Yeah, it was an hour, and it was on the network. That's a little bit different. They decided to go the exact same time, the exact same amount of time on the opposite brand. I mean, they were trying to basically do the Wednesday Night War, but... We're going to have this fluctuation, probably, and I'm sure certain nights will get better than others, and they're going against the vice uh, uh, presidential debates, but you're going to get, like, probably around 650 to 750 
usually for the shows. And I mean, Dynamite was seven hundred and fifty-three thousand, and NXT drew six hundred and thirty-nine thousand. So, pretty much what was last week's. All right, so we had very much around the same thing. And I understand, like, everyone's talking about the demos and shit like that. I just think in general, let's get it separate, for God's sakes. I mean, it's going to be crazy to watch wrestling every fucking night of the week. But, you know, watching two shows at once does make me go, like, I, I've, I've gone colorblind. Uh, completely, like, all colors just go away. I've gone cross-eyed before. It's a lot of work. <laughs> what do you think? I, I, I agree with you. I think it would be a smart move for one of them to move. Obviously, you know, AEW never had a plan of going on Wednesday night. Like they, when they came up with the night, the dynamite name, it was Tuesday night. Dynamite is what they copywrote for the show. But obviously with the NBA, they can't, they couldn't do that. They couldn't do what the plan was. And that was just whatever network they landed on. They landed on just happened to be TNT. So it's not like, AEW went out of their way to have this show the same night as NXT. In fact, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> WWE went out of their way to have their show on at least on live TV the same night as uh, as uh, AEW. I mean, wasn't NXT show from seven to eight on Wednesday, anyways? I believe so. So if they would have left it on the network. <laughs> It would have been a one-hour format. One, it probably would have been a better show, just because I think those one-hour shows worked really well for them. Um, and two, like a, you didn't lose any audience because people are still going to watch NXT. I mean, I don't understand how USA benefits from this. At some point, you would think that the network would say, "Hey, look, we're moving you to Thursday. Sucks to be you." <laughs> I guess the only thing I can think of, uh, you know, is that USA is happy with the numbers because they're still getting viewers, maybe from. Because what what else? What other fucking shows do they have to show on Wednesday nights? At least it's doing, you know, on a good time, seven hundred plus, and on a bad time, obviously moving around six hundred, if not a little bit less, compared to what they could have a, a Christly marathon. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, that's what I'm saying. It would be easy for them to shift that other programming so moving they they usa Just benefits from moving the show so i don't know if wwe has something written in their contract where no this is the only night we can go on but most tv networks if, if you're going against strong competition they'll just move the show like if there's two shows that are similar like we've seen it in the past with like gray's anatomy and like nip tuck they were on the same night so one of them shifted the chance the show to a different night because like you said you're cannibalizing your audience so weird. Just so strange. But um, what are you going to do? At least, for the most part, we have good wrestling. And I thought this was kind of a weak week with uh, both shows in a lot of ways. Great matches. That Kushida uh, Tomasa Ciampa match up until the bullshit ending. But, and also uh, the dog collar match. But, you know, they both had better, I will say. And a lot of times it's still better than Monday Night Raw. So, there you go. I, I will say, um, if the dog collar match isn't on AEW, that show got its ass handily whipped by NXT as far as quality matches in being a good show. Yeah. 
I could see what you're talking about for sure. Um, all right, so I think that the last two things that we should talk about, you know, uh, just in general, uh, we got the draft standings for WWE, uh, who's going where. Thought some of the choices were a bit interesting on SmackDown. Um, just the whole first round being fucking the champions. It's like, just take the champions out of there. We Just keep them on the show. They're not going anywhere. It just kind of seemed done, like a waste of time. But, uh, you know, good chunk of it uh, done. Uh, I, and, uh, yeah, what, what, what uh, information do you have, Christopher, about the draft itself? Let me pull up the actual draft recap here so we can kind of go through it. Um, I, much like you said with the champions going first, I'm not a huge fan of that. I liked when... <laughs> They drafted Brock, and he was like, no, fuck this, and just went whatever he wanted anyways. So hopefully they do that. Um, I, this whole draft thing is a little weird to me because they, they're doing this open invitational anyways. So at some point, like, what is the purpose of having a draft? We've talked about this many times, but... Yeah. Shut up! So let's uh, let's pull up WWE draft results here. My uh, My laptop fell asleep, so sorry about that. And uh, let's see... So the first, obviously, the first pick was Drew McIntyre to Raw. Raw picked first. Um, the second pick, Roman Reigns to SmackDown. Your third pick, Oscar to Raw. Seth Rollins to SmackDown, which is kind of a surprise and very interesting. Very so I interesting. We can stop at this one because, uh, assuming that Buddy Murphy doesn't go to SmackDown, that separates them too. Uh, so- what are your thoughts? Do you think that's like? A good thing for Seth to get him off Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I honestly, I really do. Um, I think that it's it's about time. And uh, you know, once again, it kind of sucks because we never we we got some good matches, but it seems like Seth and AJ always cross paths, and I want more matches of them while you know they're still in their prime and everything, but. That's just me, you know, based on wanting wrestlers to wrestle each other. I'm hoping I'm trying I'm trying to look. The only thing that sucks about it is now he's still on the show with fucking Rain and Dominic Mysterio. So we're not losing that. That's the biggest thing. And now he's calling himself, I believe, the uh, SmackDown Savior or the Savior of SmackDown, one of those things. SmackDown Savior. That's that's what. So he's not dropping the gimmick either. This is not going to be a new coat of paint. Same Seth, Ray, and Dominic as a tag team at least is being presented. But we're going to keep on going with that, and we're probably going to get Buddy Murphy on SmackDown as well. And I was kind of hoping if they switched, he'd be by you know get him out of there. Let's get fucking start restart. <laughs> it was, I was a- good towards the end. I'll say that, but it took fucking too long. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, is 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 this gimmick for Seth bad? And it's so hard to determine because they've only had him go against Kevin Owens for forever and then <laughs> the Mysterios for forever. So we haven't, haven't really seen it fleshed out anywhere. So it's hard to even make a determination on whether this is like a good run for Seth. Uh, it's interesting that they immediately drafted the Mysterios <laughs> to SmackDown. Uh, I don't know if the idea is they're just shifting storylines to... A different audience, assuming that Fox is a different audience than USA. I, I don't know. But the Hurt Business stays on Raw. So I guess because they're a faction, you can draft four people in one pick. 
Never been a huge I guess fan. That was like five people. <laughs> Fucking Jesus Christ. Okay, whatever. One also thing I will say about the Seth Rollins to close it out. And I just had the thought, and I completely fucking lost my mind. Oh, one cool element. Roman and Seth are on the same product again. What type of interaction that's going to be like? They're both obviously heels, but how are they going to get along with each other? That dynamic actually intrigues me. I will say that. Yeah, that, that is a bit interesting. AJ Styles goes back to Raw in the next pick after Hurt Business. Yep. Um, He'll do great there. Do you like that idea? I mean, I, I don't think that they ever wanted to take him off Raw. That that all happened to be with the Heyman stuff, which I'm assuming AJ Styles still doesn't like the guy. So, uh, He's like, Heyman I want to go off- back to sucking Raw. He just came <laughs> here with Roman Reigns. That's some bullshit. <laughs> Pretty much, because to be fair, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> he got the fuck out of there because of, of Paul. I think it hurts AJ Styles a little bit just because he flipped brands like three times in the same year, but... I don't know that people really care, honestly. Uh, I, I only, the only thing I care about the draft is if we're going to get new matches, and seemingly not so much. <laughs> I think that we will see, and maybe AJ will flip heel and baby because he does it all the goddamn time anyways, but there could we could be seeing AJ against uh, Randy Orton, uh, especially if Orton obtains that title sometime soon in the future. I could definitely see that. So I'll just go through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list out like five picks, and you let me know your thoughts on them. I think that might okay. work a little better. We got uh, Sasha Banks heading back to SmackDown. Uh, Naomi is headed to Raw, which I think is good for her. Um, mm-hmm. Bianca Belair to SmackDown. That's awesome. Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler to Raw. But they're the women's tag team champions, so they can, in theory, go to either product. So I don't... I don't know. That's a little bit of a weird draft pick. I don't think it really matters. Ricochet to stay on Raw. And Jay Uso to SmackDown, which we, we kind of assumed that Usos were going to stay pat anyways, just because of the storyline with Roman. Um, but what do you think about those picks? I mean, I think there's some interesting ones within the female division. Yeah, for sure. The, the SmackDown picks, all of them good. Um... I like the idea of Bianca Belair on the same product as Sasha. I think that interactions between them is a very interesting dynamic, if you will. The whole Ray and Dominic, them being a tag team together, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Like I said, I hope that even though they're on the same thing, him and Seth, um, just get away from each other. Somehow, can we, <laughs> I know that we have the whole Romeo and Juliet fucking storyline going on, but... Um, yeah. Did you go, you went over everyone for, for Raw too, so I can still talk about them or? Uh, you want me to just run through the whole list real quick? I mean, there's only 20 picks. We're at 13, yeah. so I'll, I'll just go through it and, and that might, like, we have Drew McIntyre to Raw, got Roman to SmackDown, Oscar to Raw, Seth to SmackDown, uh, The Hurt Business to Raw, AJ to Raw, uh, Sasha stays on SmackDown, Naomi to Raw, Bianca Belair to SmackDown, Nia Jax and Shayna stay on Raw, Ricochet to Raw, Jey Uso to SmackDown, Mandy Rose to Raw, Ray and Dominic to SmackDown, like you said, um, The Miz and John Morrison to Raw, mm. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods to Raw, which to me is like the biggest one of the night because 
they essentially broke up the New Day. Uh, <laughs> and they so just it, won the uh, tag titles, too. Yeah, so Big E, uh, Big e goes to SmackDown, or stays on SmackDown. Dana Brooke to Raw. Otis to SmackDown, so he stays where he's at. And Angel Garza to Raw. And that's all that we've gotten so far. I'm assuming we're going to get more picks. Um, I don't know. Are they doing more picks, or is just everyone else a free agent? Because I know that... Um, I want to say Mickey James had a post about being a free agent today. Yep, everyone's a free agent. They're doing more draft picks on Raw, and then I think everyone will be picked off individually outside of that. But they probably won't even fucking mention it much. But um, this is uh, this is interesting. This is definitely interesting. Miz and Morrison in a new setting. Can we get them away from each other eventually? Is that is that a possibility? God, I would um, hope so. There's <laughs> so much. There's just imagine a killer match between Morrison and AJ Styles. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, on on. I mean, the big one for me is Seth being back on SmackDown. You obviously have the ability to have him feud with Roman. Yep. So Absolutely. if you if you want to turn Seth in fact babyface. Um, now that you've reset his settings and you decide not to put him with Buddy Murphy, uh, there's definitely ways to get there, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited. Raw, I'm excited to find out the rest of this, and they have three hours. The one thing I will say was weak about all this was the presentation. Just having Stephanie, like last time, come out and say both picks. I mean, you guys can kind of figure out something a bit cooler than that. Uh, I don't know, something a little bit exciting. For the person coming out, but whatever. Well, I mean, I liked I liked the idea of it being executives for Fox and USA. Like, just you know, it doesn't have to actually be Fox and USA executive. Just hire like some actors to be like, this is the executive of this branch of USA, and have them make the picks or something. Or, and I say this, and I'm going to immediately regret it, but maybe they do need another authority figure. Like I think Adam Pierce would have been fine in this role and mm-hmm. maybe, you know, one other person. So whoever you want to yeah, establish Steph in that another person, you know, it could have been Adam Pierce and Steph just to give, I don't know. I liked back in the day, the way I'm thinking about it with Paul Heyman and, uh, which we called Eric Bischoff. And then previously, obviously the first one with, uh, Rick Flair and Vince, they made it a big deal in between it. And obviously one of the biggest things is that, a lot of the fucking people didn't know where the hell they were going, so we got honest reactions of people pissed off about shit, um, <laughs> which is a very interesting prospect to do within all this. I don't know if that's changed or not. I'm assuming it has. But either way, there was just like this level of, of credibility and realism to it that it just it's kind of just dull now. I think it's uh, baffling to me that they did not draft Charlotte Flair in this first 20 or uh, <laughs> Bailey hasn't gotten fucking picked, has she? Wow. Oh, so, I mean, she could be the only, well, I mean, we know that she's going to have to stay on SmackDown because she's the SmackDown champion, and they're not going to, I mean, they could do something really cool where they're like, hey, we don't need two women's champions. Maybe we want to narrow down the products and give, like, an actual chase and build build the division a little bit, unifying the titles or something. But it's WWE, so I'm assuming... (laughs) 
just like you said, like, just say that the champions are staying where they're at. <laughs> at some point, you don't really need to make draft picks. I mean, the only reason you would even need to do this is because they wanted to break up the New Day, which I'm still not. I don't know. I, I think it helps Big E to some extent, but it also hurts Big E because those big moments that Kofi had on his run, part of it was his best friends being by his side. You know, it made it it made it even more special. And I think, you know, if Big E finally gets to the mountaintop, it would have been a lot better having the new day there. Yeah, I agree, man. I uh, I don't know. Maybe I, as much as I agree with you, I should say you got to do it at some point. And it would have been cool to have the New Day as a tag team. They just won the championships, helping Big E get to either the IC belt or even fucking build him for the, uh, you know, the actual belt, but being there to back him up. But this is an experiment. I don't see it lasting, like, you know, maybe a year just to try it out. But just see if Big E can uh, land on his feet and do his thing without Xavier and uh, Kofi there for everything. Um, I mean, I guess, but why Why would he need to, though? Like, Rick always had the Four Horsemen. The Fabulous Freebirds were there together forever. Like, you don't have to separate them for Big E to be a singles competitor. They proved that with Kofi Kingston, who yeah. had a great title run. So, it's just weird. Um, I, I mean, I, I love what they've been doing with Big E so far. I don't know that I'm necessarily a huge fan of this. Because if the idea is, hey, we're really going to push Big E, and maybe he has a big moment at WrestleMania or something, or wins the Rumble, it would just be so much more special with the New Day. I think they'll still come out. They'll still interact somewhat. I don't think the New Day's over. I just think that we're not going to see them together, obviously, because of this. I don't even see him getting new fucking theme music. I mean, how could they? I, I mean, I guess he he would have the theme. <laughs> if anything, it would be Kofi and <laughs> Kofi and Xavier so Woods awesome. getting new theme, theme music. I wonder how long that's gonna last. I mean, do we get a heel Xavier Woods? I've been clamoring for that for a long period of time. I think he would make a great heel. If you're just gonna blow the entire thing up, you know, Shield style. Shit, I'm. You know what? I would. If you're going to do it, you might as well do it big, right? <laughs> Why not? The only downside to that is you have no tag teams. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um, another group that was split up because of the draft as of last night was Heavy Machinery. Otis is going to be on SmackDown. They put Tucker on Raw. Um, uh, I think Tucker is really gifted in the ring. I've always put him over even more so than Otis. Obviously, Otis has the character. But I don't see a lot of uh, stuff that Tucky's going to be able to do in the future. Um, who knows? We have that really cool idea where it's like, fucking take the Shory G gimmick, shove it up fucking Vince's ass, put Chad Gable on Raw, and put those two motherfuckers in a tag team together. And call him Chad Gable. Um, that would be pretty cool. Because they're both extremely athletic, both ex-collegiate you know, um, wrestlers, obviously. Chad's an Olympian. But... Uh, I don't, I don't see him having a level of popularity like he did with Otis, obviously, getting that rub. What do you think? This is solidifying Otis as a singles guy, too. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to agree with you here. Really, I mean, that, w- that would be a great tag team. I don't think they're ever going to do anything uh, with him. I mean, 
honestly, best case scenario with Tucker is get released and go to somewhere like Impact, rebrand yourself. Yeah. Because I, I just don't, I don't think they, I don't think they see anything in him. Unfortunately, outside of just being a good in-ring hand, and you know how that goes. That just means he's going to be in like Raw Underground or some shit. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, so another thing that we should probably talk about in this is the uh, the guy who came back last night, and he's going to be a part of the uh, pool, if you will. Uh, Lars Sullivan made his return, destroyed, uh, you know, came after a match with Jeff Hardy and Matt Riddle, uh, going against uh, The Miz and John Morrison, completely destroyed all of them, um, and made his presence known. And uh, that's uh, interesting. I didn't expect Lars to come back. I really got to be honest with you. Uh, do you think he's going to Raw or SmackDown, Chris? I'm sorry, I cut out for a second. Who, uh, who, who, who were we talking about? Lars Sullivan. He made his return last night. He beat the shit out of like four people, and they, he's going to be a part oh, of the okay. uh, Raw draft pool on Monday night. Uh, you know, honestly, it's hard to really give a shit about that guy. One, because I never really liked him to begin with, even as a wrestler. And then after those uh, online comments surfaced, woof. Um, I don't know. I mean, where's Braun going to land? Yeah, because I'm, ass- I'm assuming they're going to put, you know, one on one and the other on the other. That is a good point. Ow, why are you biting me, cat? Oh, yeah, that's right. I was like, supposed to feed you a while ago. Damn it. Who are they going to... F- I mean, who is he even going to feud with? Like... <sighs> Big E. I could see them doing that. They're not Big E. Uh, fuck. Um, what's my call it? Baron Corbin? I'm surprised he wasn't drafted, like, first overall. No. God <laughs> dig it. Uh, bask in his glory. Now, see, that that's actually an interesting matchup, because while I don't really like Lars Sullivan that much... I think him and Keith Lee in a match would be good. That would have shades of, like, Dijakovic versus Keith Lee, I would think. Yeah. I I think it would be interesting. Kitty, I will feed you as soon as I'm done. God. <laughs> All right, so wouldn't, I have... Wouldn't have, if you were bringing back Lars Sullivan, wouldn't it have made sense to just have him be part of Retribution? Kind of. I mean, yeah, he kind of is part of that whole definition and concept they're going for. And then you have, like, a massive tag team. You just throw him and Dijakovic together as part of this group. They don't have to stay together, you know, forever. But, I mean, that would be a pretty solid tag team. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. What they're going to do with the whole... I'm assuming they're going to keep him on Raw, but with Retribution in general is kind of interesting. Uh, the, the undrafted people that you were talking about, Elias, Shorty G, Mickey James... And uh, Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik. They're the ones that are undrafted. So I don't really know what the hell that means. But I have the uh, the men, women, and tag teams that are eligible for Monday. Uh, what, what do you think about the undrafted? What the hell does it mean to be undrafted? Is that kind of fucked up? Well, I mean, here's the thing. is You're not really undrafted, right? If you're doing a second round of the draft, you're only going to be undrafted if you don't get chosen the second round. Yeah, and they haven't been. None of them are part of the uh, the second round. Um, another thing is that some people are completely unlisted due to injury or whatnot. Uh, Becky Lynch, obviously, or having a baby. Um, 
Jimmy Uso, Ivar, they're both injured, obviously. Sonya Deville, uh, she's she's gone for right now. Edge, Jinder Mahal, Samoa Joe, Mojo Raleigh, the Forgotten Sons, Bo Dallas, and any of the part-timers, Big Show, John Cena, any of those people. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I, I here's a question for you, thinking of John Cena. You know, obviously, he, the part-timers, like you said, are not included. Do you see John Cena coming back this year at all? I don't think so, man. I mean, being they're not doing a Saudi show or anything, they're he, not going to have... <laughs> the number one person that he wanted to put over, I don't think he wants to put over anymore, which was Velveteen Dream. So, Yeah, I mean, unless... Yeah. God, the only person I could even think of that you would do a match with after you could, I guess you could do a rematch with the Fiend, right? I would love to see him in Roman now that yeah, Roman's gonna, a heel. Yeah, that was going to be my next one, would be him and Roman. Outside of that, there's just nothing new for Cena to do, really. Nope. And this would be about the time of year he would start showing back up if he was going to have any kind of big moment at Mania later on. Oh, man, that's. I would love another one with him and AJ, but I don't think we're going to get that. I think that's pretty much over with because they always had good matches. Um, I think that's the number one, though. I think Roman Reigns would make the most sense. It's just like The Rock. If The Rock's going to come back, and he's already talked about it. He's talking about it, but it's like, all right, Rock, like any fucking movie company is going to let you have a match at WrestleMania, you know, but he wants to fucking go against Roman Reigns. And it's like, I mean, who else in the company? Do you have that that's at that level, you know, of the new crop of guys to go against The Rock or fucking John Cena? Daniel Bryan's nowhere near what he used to be. Randy Orton's probably not the choice that you want to hear anymore for that. You know, I mean, who they got? Roman. Well, you know, good point on calling out Randy Orton because you could do John Cena as a legend versus Randy Orton. I know that's a bit weird considering they've had a good rivalry. I'm down for that again. I could see them doing that, but now that you pointed out The Rock, I'd never even think about The Rock showing up just because it's he's the fucking Rock. I mean, The Rock's going to do whatever The Rock wants to do anyways, I think, but... Uh, he wants a hell of to a, do it, apparently. He wants to do it, apparently. They have a hell of a setup for a match. Who is really the big chief in this scenario, right? Him Who is Roman? the chief? Who is the actual tribal chief for the Analoa family between The Rock and... And Roman Reigns. That's and, an awesome you know, fucking story. That's a great... I mean, they. I don't think that they... <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong. Vince does book shit way in advance. Maybe that's where they're trying to go. I mean, I would be fucking stoked to see Roman versus The Rock. I think they're well together. Um, and obviously, you have that built-in storyline. Especially with this new version of Roman just whipping the shit out of people. The Rock can just sell his ass off for the majority of the match. Yeah, I completely agree. Oh, man. Now now I want that. It's not going to happen. Everyone wants that. It's going to be him and Bray Wyatt. It would, the Rock would have to fucking show up and win the Rumble, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, then there's also that looming concept of Brock Lesnar. What the hell is he going to do? And I don't want to see another Brock and John Cena match at all. I'd rather see him against Roman. Um well, I mean, last time The Rock wrestled, he said that he very much like Goldberg said, getting back into 
in-ring shape was like a nightmare for him. Even though The Rock is like a workout freak, like the stamina, he said, was a huge deal. And he broke his tailbone, right? In that mm-hmm. fucking Cena match? Yep, it fucked up his a lot of shit with movies. That's the biggest thing. It's like, he's signed to so many different things that he's committed for. He can't, they're not going to sign him for a fucking film if he's a liability by getting injured in a wrestling match. So it's, it would have to be something that they would be a very, very safe match. Which, at the same time, Rock's, it's not like he doesn't do safe matches, but Rock, if he's going to have a fucking match that could potentially be his last match, he's going to want to go all out. He's not going to want to have to worry about, like, not being able to do a fucking superplex off the top ropes. You know what I'm saying? He's going to want to be able to fucking do something of one last time. Because I would assume this might be one of the last times, if not the last time, Rock would be in the ring. Because of legal shit with movie uh, studios and stuff and whatnot. I, this would be the perfect time for him to do it with everything seemingly pushed back a year, film-wise. Right? Yep. So if he's got, but the only thing here, and I don't know how upset Vince is about this. The Rock bought XFL. <laughs> so, that's a good point. So, <laughs> if that's the case, uh, if, if he pissed off Vince so much because of the XFL thing and they, he never wants him back, Rock, there's a guy that really wants to have a match with you called Kasuchiko Kata. He'll do it in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom. Go to fucking Japan and have a match with him, please. You're his dream match. <sighs> <sighs> oh my god, Okada, would, that would be fucking incredible. That, that would... would I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, like, you know, there's probably not a lot of American wrestlers the Japanese audience would be super stoked about seeing. Um, I think The Rock is probably on the top of that fucking list as someone you would lo- wouldn't mind coming in and having a big match with a guy like Tanahashi or, or Kazuchiko Okada, like you said. Of course, <laughs> we're talking about The Rock not being able to do that much. I don't know. I don't know that Kazuchi Okada has a has a button that says we're not going to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good point. But I think Okada, out of a lot of the guys over there, could actually probably have a suitable match and not do that much damage. He's so fucking good. Like he could he could bring a great match out of the Rock, and I think Rock would be safe for the most part. Um, but yeah, that's that's a that's another dream match, man. Too bad we can't get fucking, what, 99 Rock against fucking Okada from 2015. Ugh, just If you could just do that, just grab people from certain time periods, put them in a match. It's too bad. Oh, wait, I can't on my video game. I'm going to do that afterwards. <laughs> All right, you so, probably had that match like a bazillion times already, though, because it's the Rock. And... <laughs> oh, the funny thing is, before we were going on air, I actually set up that match. So I'm going to be playing that <laughs> the next time. Um, I get a chance to, but let's go over the uh, eligible people. Um, I'll, I'll run it down for Raw. We have Men, Sami Zayn, Andrade, Aleister Black, Daniel Bryan, King uh, Corbin, Paulo Cruz, Dabacado, uh, Eric from Eric and Ivar, Jeff Hardy, Keith Lee, Riddick Moss, uh, Titus o- uh, O'Neil, Randy Orton, Kevin Owens, R-Truth, Matt Riddle, Artuo Hua, which is another nice little addition. Uh, Sheamus, Braun Strowman, Kirtizawa, and Bray Wyatt. The women, Bailey, Alexa Bliss, Carmella, Nikki Cross, Lacey Evans, Charlotte Flair, Billy Kay, Lana, Natalia, Peyton Royce, Tamina, and Zelina Vega. And then for groups, the Street Profits, uh, Nakamura and Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode, The Miz and John Morrison, Retribution, 
and the Riot Squad. Any names tickle your fancy, sir? I think it would be amazing if Sami Zayn somehow doesn't get drafted. Or did... how the hell? How's he gonna do that? <laughs> I don't know. Did he, did he already get? Is this like the? Did they do an online draft and I just missed part of it? No, is no, that... no. This is these are the people that they're gonna choose from on Raw. Okay. Except for Miz and Morrison, they were already they were already drafted. Oh, maybe uh, CBS Sports doesn't have it updated. Yeah, you're right. They 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 were. Uh, I don't know. Art, Arturo, or, or, God, I'm going to slaughter his name. The guy from Evolve, is it Arturo? Arturo Huas. It's with an H. Um, well, it's not with an H, but pronounced. I um, am stoked to see what they can do with that guy because he really impressed the shit out of me. You know who evolves. I want him against? Him and Aleister Black. Hell yeah, that'd be awesome. Or help him and Matt Riddle. Why? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would be great too. There's a lot All of all those matches. motherfuckers need to be on the same thing. I want I want to be able to have options with Matt Riddle against Alistair Black against who us, you know, throw Kevin Owens in that mix. And no, I'm not talking about fucking underground. I don't think that's there anymore. But uh, very weird that, like you said, Bailey was not chosen. Yeah, uh, the joke about Sami Zayn was it'd be funny that he's. One, they forgot that he was the IC champion and never really took the belt away from them. Then he wins the belt. <laughs> then he doesn't get drafted. And now you have a reason why he would be the leader of Retribution, which they direly need a guy for that yeah. to work. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think Ali's the top of the list. I think that there's someone higher than him. But we're getting slowly exposed. But Sammy would be perfect. And uh, Sammy doesn't mind wearing masks, I don't think. Why? I mean, he doesn't need to wear a mask, though. He'd be like the one guy that doesn't need a mask because... He's Sammy fucking Zane, right? He's got that yeah. sick hockey mullet going. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I liked AJ's, uh, AJ's uh, comment last night. He's like, I'm glad I'm not there with, with, with freaking Sammy and his neck beard. So. <laughs> I just like when he won the IC title belt. <laughs> Kevin Owens was like, he's got that sick Wayne Gretzky flow from the 90s. <laughs> Talking about his mullet. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i love sammy zane yeah I, right. I think i think that would be hilarious they're probably not going to do that the, the hurt business being on raw with sammy just means sammy is going to be on smackdown because he has the ic title it has to be i would i would assume um and, unless he goes undrafted like i said and they do something with retribution because then he could kind of go between brands i guess Mm-hmm. Dolph Ziggler, I mean, I'm, Ziggler, I'm assuming that was one of the names you had. I'm assuming he's staying on Raw for Raw Well, it's Ziggler, Ziggler and Bobby Roode are a package. How? Is Bobby Roode it, injured? Or I thought they just took him off TV. No, he <laughs> just came back. He just had a match with Drew McIntyre. But before, when, before he got injured, he was in a, a tag team. You probably don't even remember because it's, it's fucking WWE. But yeah, him and Dolph were in a tag team together, so they kept them together for some fucking reason. And my thing is, if they're all best friends in real life anyways, and they end up on the same thing, I know it's minusing two tag teams, but just put Miz, Morrison, if you're going to keep them fucking together, just put it all in one faction. And then you got four badass heels, but to me that would have to be the opposite of where the Hurt Business is, because you got the same thing going on there. But yeah, their they're package is a tag team. They would almost like... They're never going to do this, but if they just swapped partners, 
Like, if you got Bobby Roode and Morrison, or Bobby Roode and Morrison and Miz and Ziggler, <laughs> that would, those are honestly better tag teams. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right, for sure. Um, I don't know, but it's, it, I, I mean, it's, it's given me a reason to not only finish watching SmackDown since I have uh, neglected to be able to do that, but, um, I'm excited about Raw just to find out where people go, what's possible. And that's the funnest thing about the draft. And, you know, I think we've hit most of the stuff for WWE from this week. You know, we kind of, we talked earlier about the Retribution Ali thing. Uh, we've kind of gone over the draft, talked about Lars's return. Uh, some of the matches that I know are on the SmackDown, I don't know why they put on this, you know, between Big E going against fucking Sheamus and a bat like a fucking they, they had a great match all around the arena then you gave bailey and fucking sasha on television kind of weird um but you know i think that's all the wwe stuff really for this week are you ready to talk about g1 or do you have any last comments I, my last comment is wherever bray wyatt goes seemingly kevin owens is probably going to follow because that was the main event of that show yeah that's right do you know what happened i don't care if you spoil it do you know what happened during that match? Did you have you watched SmackDown yet? Because I haven't so, finished. I watched the I watched the main event um, just because I heard it was Kevin Owens in the Fiend, and I thought maybe Owens would be able to pull a good match out of it. Uh, it was not oh, a great no. match, and the Fiend did Fiend shit, and uh, he hit the mandible claw. Owens hit a stunner, but then the Fiend just held on to the mandible claw, and that's that was the finish. The Tap him out, or did he just pass out? I guess he passed. I think he passed out, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think they're going to have Owens tap there. He just probably passed out. And then, uh, if I'm remembering right, after the match, you had The Fiend and Alexa Bliss standing in the ring together with Alexa's new mask gimmick. She has a new mask. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Does it look terrible? I got to see this right now. It's not. It's honestly not that bad. I mean, it's fitting if she's supposed to be like the female fiend. Alexa Bliss, uh, fiend mask. This is great. <laughs> God, that was a creepy picture that someone fucking just put in. <laughs> I don't even. God, there is a lot of people devoting themselves into trying to make this happen. Can I just get the actual fucking mask? I'm sure it wasn't that creepy. Well, I guess they haven't. I'll have to watch SmackDown and find it out. They're definitely, it just looks like trying to do kind of a Harley fucking Joker type of vibe with the two of them. Um, oh, actually, actually, she didn't have the mask on here. I just rewatched the ending. Um, never mind. I, I must right. have just well, saw regardless. that. I must have saw that image. Do you to know if Sasha... I drank a lot of beer uh, <laughs> while I was watching <laughs> of SmackDown. <laughs> I did. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was the finish to the Kevin Owens match. I'm 100% sure he hit the stunner and got put out with a mandible claw, which means every time the Fiend beats someone, they just continue that storyline. So that was the only takeaway for me is that those two are probably going to end up on the same brand. Yeah, and I'm also assuming, because I didn't watch it, I don't know yet, and I don't know why they would have this match anyways on SmackDown, like I said, especially since they didn't do a good job promoting it. Uh, did Bailey and Sasha, did you get to see that part? Did that end in a DQ? Because they have a match now at Hell in the Cell. I did not see it, but that would also point uh. to Bailey having to go to SmackDown. 
Yeah. Um, I did not see that match. I understand why they would put it there because they're, you know, if, if people only show up to watch the draft every year, you want to highlight some of your big stars like Bailey versus Sasha. You could do a lot worse as far as a Bailey versus Sasha match, right? To, to build up intrigue for hell in a cell. Yep. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, probably let's should take... have, probably should have fucking promote. I was going to say, you probably should have promoted it all week specifically on raw. Oh, shit. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you guys? Like you guys have like a tag team title match with the new day. Well, I guess I understand why you kind of hid that one, but still, you know, there's a lot of big matches on that. Biggie and Sheamus had their blow off match, and it was a fucking false count anywhere match. No promotion for that. Sasha and fucking Bailey. Uh, what the hell? Ready to talk about New Japan before we get out of here? Sure. Um, I, I'm just gonna go over the current standings. And then next show, I'll have a list of my favorite matches thus far. Right now, on block A, Kota Ibushi is in the lead with eight points. He's four and two. Jay, Wyatt is, or Jay White is second. He's four and two with eight points. So him and... Uh, we actually have a four-way tie, which is interesting. Will Ospreay is four and two with eight points, and Kazuchi Okada is four and two with eight points. So the top of it, and more than likely going to be one of these guys, would be the winner of block A. Um, block B, you have Naito with 10 points. He's five and one. So it, it's almost looking like he's going to be in the finals. Evil is there with eight points. So I think for your block B final, you're probably going to get Naito versus evil again. Mm. And the, the rest of the list is, you know, cause if you look at the rest of block B, you have juice Robinson with six points, Yano with six points and Tanahashi with six points. The only other person I could really see them, throwing up there further there's a there's a bunch of people with six points like zach saber jr sonata um i mean out of this you kind of look at it and you go it's either going to be evil or naito probably from block b and from block a i'm assuming it's either going to be i mean i just can't not say okada or abushi yeah man um I'm thinking a little bit different with Block A, and I know that Kota Ibushi fans are going to be mad at me. I love Kota. I think it's going to come down to, especially if they pull up the, keep on going with this tie stuff, and they're both in the top. I would, I would love the ending to be Kazuchika Okada against Will Ospreay, and you have that student versus teacher concept again between the two of them. And I don't know who you put over, but I feel like Naito is going to beat Evil, obviously, and Naito, I'm hoping. I guess, does he need to lose? I don't know. It just depends. If it's Okada, I say he wins. If it's Will Ospreay, I say Naito wins. Um, yeah, the, I don't the know. only thing I don't, I, I mean, it wouldn't be, it would be, I'm assuming it would be a non-title match. And they tend to not like having the champion win the G1. So I'm assuming if, if Naito is in block B, whoever he goes against is probably beating him Yeah. to, to win the G1. But I could be wrong. Stranger things have happened. Hell, Naito's got two titles right now. And Maybe I'm assuming... wins the G1 also. <laughs> I'm assuming that if if the person is a champion, they win the G1 tournament. They can pick who they go against? Is that how it goes? I believe... Or do they do like, something else? Because we had a very similar situation with Okada, I want to say a year ago. Yeah. Or two years ago, where he was the champion heading into the thing and, and looks like a clear cut, like he was going to possibly win it. 
And I think that was what the determination was when we went back through those rules. It's if the champion wins, he still has to have a match at Wrestle Kingdom, but I think he gets to pick the opponent. Very interesting. Which, uh, which, which could be cool for Naito. I mean, who does he pick if he does win? I'm assuming he picks Ibushi because they fucking hate each other. Oh, God. Um, I, you know, that's... It seems like they, they just did that, though. So, I don't know. He could go Tanahashi or Okada. Those are always good choices if he wins. Um, who's not going to win the tournament, I'm pretty sure, is Yuro Takahashi and Yoshihashi. I don't think either one of them are going to win it. Any of those fans of those guys, sorry. I think it's Yano's year, man. He's he's still he's still hanging in there in Block B. <laughs> God, it's like, dude, you got you got Naito who's got the most, then Evil, and then a bunch of people tied: Tanahashi, Robinson, Zack Saber Jr., Yano, and uh, Goto and Sonata all have three and three. That's ridiculous. So- I watched the Yano Evil match, and it was just them hitting each other in the nuts for like ten minutes. <laughs> so, God damn it! Just, just heads up if you if you happen upon that match, that's what that is. It's just them literally punching each other in the dick for like ten minutes. Oh my God! Oh, all right. Well, uh, good stuff. I need to get caught up. What you know, especially getting a couple matches. Maybe just message me to check out. I'll go and watch them on, uh, what is it called, uh, Daily Motion. They usually have the individual fights. Um, yeah, I will. I definitely say there's been a lot of good stuff in the tournament. Um, I will give a more formal list of my favorite matches so far on our next episode. All right. Way to do it, because I'm only, I'm either at night 10 or night 11. So I, I still have but a little bit of catching to up to do. Yeah, I still have a little bit of catching up to do on my end also. Well, either way, Okada. Kazuchika Okada, 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 Tokyo Joe. There you go. That was our ending of the G1 Climax Talk. But that was a long episode of, of, of talking about wrestling for you guys. And we're happy to do it every single time because we enjoy you. All the new listeners, uh, thank you guys. Check out... Our website at geekvibesnation.com. That's Geek Vibes Nation. There you'll find various news articles and also, you know, just different links for audio platforms. You know, we're on a bunch, an array. You can just Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance and find them as well. And you'll find us on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iTunes. We put a lot of our stuff, just audio stuff, on uh, YouTube. So definitely check us out. All of our old listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to us every week. I uh, hope you guys like this long episode where we basically just talked about everything in wrestling. Um, I even mentioned the Pure Tournament over at Ring of Honor. That's how much of a badass I am. I'll say MLW, just to say MLW. There you go. I, I, I right. got something about him. <laughs> I have one thing about MLW. Right now, they're posting a ton of classic matches. So if you want to see Sabu versus Mikey Whipwreck, uh, MLW's YouTube posted... Just a shit ton of stuff from, like, 2003. Uh, another awesome match. They have a, a three-way between Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes, and Steve Carino I watched not too long, two days ago. Pretty fucking awesome. So, shout-out for MLW for giving us some other shit to watch. Thank not you, Corp Power. <laughs> but we appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, yeah, that's it, guys. Uh, Chris, say goodbye to all the lovely people out there.
Goodbye, lovely people. If you want to talk to me, you can hit me on Twitter at, at Chris R. Patton. Uh, there is a Skates to Throats podcast up for you hockey fans out there. We break down what was the Stanley Cup tournament, uh, some free agency news, as well as the draft. Um, so that's out there. And we should have another show coming up this week. And there is a incoming horror podcast that I will probably update you guys on. The next show where we're going to go over some yeah, horror movies. With me and such. you. <laughs> real shit for horror. I'm not saying the fucking Halloween movies that fucking Rob Zombie made are better than the John Carpenter ones. And stupid shit like fucking that. No, fuck. Uh, yeah. We're, well, there will be, apparently there will be multiple ones. <laughs> but... In general, everyone have a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And I'll pass it back to you, Dane. All right, love you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Definitely check us out again. Do this time, you know, do this wonderful thing. Usually twice a week, sometimes once a week. Uh, we usually get our shows out on Fridays and Sundays. We've got new episodes, and we review, like I said, all the big shows and talk about all the big news items. We'll catch you next week for another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Peace out. And let the geek fives be with you. Have a good one, guys.